get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michael in front, shot towards the goal. Letty stayed on it. Wrote it there with Stone. The puck coming free to Eichel. He goes to turn and shoot and score. That one's going to frustrate Bennington and his Blues defense. Carlson walks it in front. They score. Marcia Sos tied at 3-3. And the power play comes through for the Knights. Long shot towards the goal. 4-3 Vegas. Told you it was coming, Mike. And the Knights have taken a one-goal lead. Returns it to Barbashev into the slot. Stevenson there. Wide open. Tapping to Amadio. And it's 5-3. And a meltdown of a second period for the Blues. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Man, that seemed like it was going to be so much fun in the first period. Well, it was I a texted lot of fun. Alex. I said, man, are the Blues getting fun again? We talked about how that was one of the best periods we've seen them play. I, I think you can make a pretty strong argument. The single best individual period that I've seen the Blues play so far this year was the first period last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know, man. That Colorado game where they scored eight goals, that uh, first period where they put three up on them was pretty impressive. That's fair. There's uh, been a lot of them this season where one period you've been like, this Blues team has figured it out. I think the Vegas Golden Knights, so given the opponent, I think that's the best team I've seen the Blues play so far this year. And... You made them look like they had no idea what was coming their direction. And that is hard to do against that defensive core, that team in general. So I'll give credit to the Blues, man. They looked awesome in that first period. But then, as it has been so often this year, it's just bap, 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 all consecutively in the second period, which has, again, been an issue for this team. At 9.42 into the second period, Jack Eichel goal. 11.51 into the second period, power play goal. 12.18 into the second period, another goal. Three goals over the course of less than three minutes. Alex, it's the theme of the season. Blues go from up 3-1 to to down 4-3. to They had opportunities in there. They had a power to play to potentially extend the lead to 4-1. to They didn't convert. Meanwhile, on the other side, the Vegas Golden Knights convert their opportunities on the power play. It's been the same old story. Blues don't score for first. They lose the game last night. It's this is it, it is feeling a little bit like a rerun, despite how individually within the game, it feels a little different at times. This might surprise the hell out of you guys, but I'm going to take the optimistic side of this one. I know, right? <gasps> Alex, optimistic. We watched the same game we last did, night, We right? did. Well, hey, this one was night and day different than that Monday game against Vegas where you were outplayed for the entirety of it. But yeah, like, I've heard we played well. Last season... Every game felt like there was never a moment where you're like, oh, the Blues figured it out. Every right. game, we we from start to finish, it was, yeah, this, this is a lost cause for this Blues team. Maybe you'd get little snippets of them playing well, but when it went bad, it went bad from start to finish. 
to get that first period is a real positive for this Blues team. But you just can't deny the mental fragility of this team still. And this is the growing period. It's like, again, this is not a Stanley Cup contending team, nor was it expected to be. It's a team that's trying to figure out how to get back into that winning window with a bunch of guys, some that have been or some that are rookies, some that have been in the NHL for a little bit and some who are veterans. And that to me is this this three minute blunder. It's the 11th time this season that they have given up two or more goals in three minutes or less. The 11th time this season, I wrote them down. And frankly, there are two games. Hold on. We, Alex, we have played 25 games. And almost half of the games this year. I won't won't be monotonous with this, but so Winnipeg, they gave up two goals in 18 seconds. Vancouver, three goals in three minutes and four seconds. San Jose, three goals in three minutes and two seconds. The Kings, they did it twice. 19 seconds, two goals, and then two goals in a minute and 43 seconds. Arizona, two goals in a minute and four seconds, and then Nashville, two goals in 28 seconds, three goals in three minutes and 10 seconds. And then again last night. And then again last night. And then Arizona, they did it two goals in three minutes and 33, which is a little outside that window. But still, I mean, that it's the same problem, just in a different area like last season. Last season was, hey, this team doesn't know how to take one bad loss and forget it going into the next game. Well, now they do. They've gone eight straight with win, (laughs) loss, win, loss, win, loss. But what now they don't understand is, when one bad thing happens, like us not scoring on a power play or the other team bumping into my goaltender, and then they score, it's, oh, well, this one's over, guys. And they're still holding on to a lead. That's the next growth spot for this team. This is a better team than it was here. Absolutely. Like, I'm confident in saying that, but much like the Cardinals, where the baseline should not be, be better than the 71-win team, the baseline for the Blues cannot be, be better than the worst team that we've seen from them in, what, the last 15 years? Like, that can't... I understand it's a retool, and so I get in trouble for this all the time about, hey, we're supposed to be talking about the retool. No, man, like they're they're showing that they're better than we thought they were going to be in 2023, and I'm going to judge them accordingly. They're, they are so close in some of these games where it's like, man, if you can just take that one extra step, you're right there, not in contention for a Stanley Cup. I'm not judging them on that, but right there to be like a legit playoff team, man. You are right on the cusp of that right now. And if you can do this in back-to-back games against the Vegas Golden Knights, where you beat them in overtime on Monday night, and then yesterday you play what I believe genuinely to be their best period of the season, and if you have a couple of opportunities that go your way on the power play, I think you probably end up winning that game last night. For you to be able to do that against that team, who I think is the favorite to come out of the West this year to win the Stanley Cup, You're not as far away as I think some, including myself, are projecting you to be. And yet, and yet, and yet, there comes individual three-minute stretches where they look like the single worst hockey team in the NHL. And if you you don't have to eliminate those moments, if you can limit them, this can be a team that ends up, you know, 90 to 95 points at the end of the year. We are legitimately talking about them once again as a playoff team, and if you've got Bennington and Net as a playoff team, anything can happen. It's it's the frustrating part because you want this retool to go faster to where you see this. You've it's got a microwave society, and I am absolutely somebody that is at fault for that. Like, what's, I, a, what's a microwave society? You want everything to come out as quick as possible, right? You're not willing to wait. Oh, for the I just eat it raw, be- like a hot dog. I'm not going to microwave. I'm just going to eat it. This is down really? and cold. Yeah. You've never had a cold hot dog before? I, no. Oh, absolutely man. Not. I don't Come like cold on. pizza. Like, I'm not a cold yeah, food in general. Yeah. I'm the king you. of the hot dog. Let bro. me tell you something. That thing's got to be warm. Let me tell you something. On a nice hot summer day, 
after you eat golf 18 I, rounds and you're feeling it, come dude, home and you're I, like, let's down this hot dog. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> We've done it. Yeah, my dad and I, my dad's listening right now. I know he knows How what I'm talking about. How many Pink Whitney's did you have before oh, this? <laughs> <laughs> Not even the Pink Whitney's, the spicy pickle shooters. Oh, whatever my you God, can this think is of. disgusting. Are you yeah. using the, the spicy pickle shooter as your relish? No. <laughs> no, it goes but down the, prior to the hot dog. I thought you were just like washing it down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got to do this, the spicy pickle shooter solo. People know what I'm talking about here, but... You want to get this faster because you've got pieces in place. You've got the Kyries, you've got the Thomas, you've got the Booches, the Binningtons. But it really is biding your time to get through some bad contracts and get some players up here with those reps. And again, the LA Kings, I just go back to them because it's who Armstrong pointed out with this retool. They have this too, man. You had Dowdy, you had Kopitar, you had some of these young players and you're thinking, why aren't we good? Because you had to wait for the Jonathan Quicks to expire. You had to wait for some of those, the Dustin Browns to expire. You had to retrain some of these younger players what it means to win hockey games. And we're seeing that retraining period. When your dog pees in the house after two weeks where you feel like you've got them potty trained, you get frustrated. Be like, no, you knew this already. That's what's happening right now. You've got to retrain the puppy to go back outside and pee once again. It was a great reference there by me that yeah, I just I mean you're poof. stealing from Jamie Rivers on the dog potty train thing but I'm oh, sorry I don't good. steal from people uh, they have their own things we have our if we're going to claim stealing BT likes to steal my obituaries <laughs> are, we, that, are, we, are we really comparing this retool to a dog going to the bathroom I was not pretty the, similar yeah. not the retool but the area that they're having problems with right now the three goal or the two or three goals in three minutes T-Bone it's just like when, I call that a talent problem not a retraining how to so win so you're problem. saying when your dog pees in the house it's a talent problem your dog's not talented no, no, enough no it's an animal and not playing a sport it's a mistake probably. it's a mistake <laughs> and you know what you do with those mistakes you don't rub their nose in it you say let's get through this together so as I was watching that game last night, I thought to myself, I, this is best to move on. I felt like Joe Vitale there for a minute. Uh, so close, yet so, cold so, 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 so far away. So I was watching that game last night, I thought to myself. It's a microwave society, you know? <laughs> what? When in Rome. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort (laughs) Service text line to get involved in the show. You guys can always watch us as well on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Our studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. Speaking of Joey Vitale, let's just get his thoughts on this. Stop with (laughs) the micro society, the hot dogs, the cold pizza. Stop with all of that. We are going to get to Joey Vitale, who's going to give us his thoughts on the game last night coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. Okay, let's go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to continue our discussion on the Blues from last night with the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. And last night, you probably saw him on Bally Sports Midwest doing pre, post, and intermission. He's Joey Vitale joining us as he does each and every Thursday here on the show. Joe, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, I love you, I'm so cute. 
Doing great. I appreciate you. <laughs> just say, Joe, Joey just didn't hear it. Cute. Joey didn't hear it. You just said he's cute. I complimented his looks. He's a he's a fine-looking Italian fella. Cute, though? That's what you went with? Not handsome, not good-looking, hey, ravishing. It just came cute. out. All right. Hey, just, I, I appreciate all the love. I appreciate all the love. That might be a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, sir. Sorry. Sorry. All right, Joe, let's get right into this one from last night. I thought the first period was as good as I've seen the Blues play all season long. Let's start with the good before we get to uh, the less good. What did you see from the Blues early on in that one against Vegas? Hey, I tell you what, BK, to me, the biggest thing that stood out about that first period was the response. I mean, this isn't something the Blues haven't done a ton of this year. I thought it was a step in a, in a great direction. You know, we all know the stat. When they allow that first goal, they're over. When they score the first goal, they're undefeated, right? So that, to me, is a, a great sign that you allow that first goal, Vegas comes at you, they put it in the net first, and all of a sudden, the Blues don't sit back and lick their wounds. They come out, they have some jump. A great play by neighbors. You back it up with the Kevin Hayes goal. Then all of a sudden, another wonderful goal there by Jordan Cairo. Elevates the building, energy in the place. And all of a sudden, we got a 3-1 game after the first period. And it looked like we were smooth sailing to our first victory after allowing that first goal. So to me, it was the response in that first period. It was, and that's why that second period was so confusing, Joe. And we've talked a lot about this in the past on this show. We've done it on pregames. But that's the 11th time this season that the Blues have given up two or more goals in a three-minute span. What's what's happening with this team when one goal goes in and the rest follow? Well, it's it's a streaky bunch, that's certain. I mean, you look at different teams across the National Hockey League, and, and there are different characteristics that stand out about the group. You know, even Jordan Bennington, Alice, was asked about this question after the game. And, you know, he kind of shrugged his shoulders. He just wasn't sure. I think if the coaches and the goaltenders and everyone knew what the answer was, they would certainly be on top of it. But right now, the, the characteristic of this group is when they get ahead, they stay ahead. When they get behind, uh, they end up falling way, way behind. I think last night was an example of you fall a little bit behind. You end up maybe panicking a little bit as the Golden Knights in that second period tie it. Goaltender appearance, maybe maybe not. They decide not to challenge. I actually support Craig Booby. I think it was a really good non-challenge. I don't think they would have won that challenge. And then instead of kind of you know getting back to the, the, the playbook and getting back to the chalkboard about what we need to do, what we did in the first period to be successful, then all of a sudden it kind of comes into panic mode and the group kind of falls apart and a lot of uncharacteristic penalties, including a too many men at the end of that second period and then you know, a like in the third. I, I think the turning point in the game when the Blues really just fell off was the too many men at the end of the second period because if you look at that penalty, that's the one Amadio scored in, which made a two-goal game at that point right before an mission. Joe, we made a lot of the Blues' new defensive structure early on this season, but there have been games recently where even in that 2-1 to win at Vegas, they gave up a ton of opportunities, and you look at some of the goals against recently. I, I don't put it on Bennington. I, I put it on some of the chances that they're seeing. What are you seeing from the structure lately? Well, I think the biggest thing, BK, I've seen from the structure is that it's still a little indecisive at times. We've seen it look really good, and then we've seen it kind of fall apart. I think with the, with the new transition of a new system, you're always going to be battling of your old ways and your old habits and how they used to do things last year, which I think is something that over time this group has to sort out and has to figure out. Because when it looks good, it's incredible. Like I go back to that Vegas game on Monday night, there were just bodies in the way. 
Yes, Bennington had to make some big saves, but guess what? That's his job. He's supposed to make big saves, and he knows that, right? It's a good Vegas team. You're not going to go 0 for You're not going to allow zero chances again from a danger area. You're going to allow some chances against good teams. But the thing that stood out about how the system looked so good on Monday was it wasn't necessarily defensive players making plays. There's a difference between that and just being in a good defensive position to be in the way, not just make the play, but sometimes just be in the way. And that's when it looks really good. It's when it's in the middle, it's tight, they're not allowing anything to come through the middle, and the bodies that want to try to go there, they're going to run into one, two, three defenders. So, Joe, with that being said, and we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but you know, last night when Vegas couldn't get anything going with their top line and the Blues were swarming them, Bruce Cassidy went out there to Keegan Colasar and William Carrier line, and it found a way to stabilize it a little bit. Do the Blues suffer from not having that stabilizing line? I think they do a little bit, Alex. I think it's something that they're still in the works of. I don't know if they uh, officially have designated what that line looks like. You know, for a while there, it looked like they had something special with the Sunquist neighbors and Sammy Blay line. You know, Craig Berube called it kind of that identity line. I think he was right. They play with a lot of jump. They play with jam. There was a lot of energy. It was a four-checking line. And they were smashing defenders. So it was all, all positive things from this line. And I think that the Blues had something – uh, quite similar to what you saw in the Barbashev scene and, uh, of course, the Oscar Sundquist line back in 2019. The issue now becomes as Jake Neighbors gets promoted, as he deserves, now leading all blues and goals with 10, the first one, two double digits. You give him the promotion to the first line because he's earned it, which is a good thing, but now you need to have someone kind of fill in there, right? So right now it's Nikita Alexandrov. I think at some point, with as healthy as the blues have been, I think the one question mark is going to become do the Blues start digging deep into Springfield and start thinking about bringing some other players up? Let's call it a Nathan Walker, for example. Someone you can come into the fourth line, bring some energy, bring some speed. You know exactly what you're going to get out of them. And someone's just going to promote a little bit of energy because right now I think in the bottom six is something that's missing. Joe, last question that I've got for you. Joey Vitale is joining us here on 101 ESPN as he does each and every Thursday. Uh, it's probably not the best game to ask this about coming off of the second and third period, given his performance. But Jordan Cairo, I think, has shown a lot of maturity this year. And Craig Berube talked about it before the game. His thoughts on the scoring drought and how, hey, listen, the, the goals are going to come. But I like what he's done away from the puck this year. What have you seen in terms of the maturity and the development in Kairou's game outside of just the goal scoring? Well, yeah, and I love, BK, that you brought this up. And I love that Craig Berube referenced this when talking about Jordan Kairou. He did something very similar you know, a couple of years ago to Vladimir Tarasenko when people were kind of looking at Vladdy's numbers where they weren't as strong. And Craig Berube came out and defended Vladdy by saying, hey, listen, he may not be showing up on the score sheet, but this is a player that's doing incredible things that you just don't see on the stat sheet, the way he's defending. And I think that Jordan Cairo, to me, is almost the exact same as that reference to Vladimir Tarasenko back in the day. I look at Jordan Cairo's entire career. Let's take a step back. Let's look at it from a 10,000-foot view. Uh, when he retires, we're going to look at this particular year, and we're going to say, you know what? He learned a lot this year. Again, it didn't show up on the score sheet. But look at the player he retired as, and it's because of this year he learned how to do things that didn't show up on the score sheet. He defended better. He took care of wall plays better. He managed the puck better. He's doing all these little nuts and bolts things right now this year that it takes to become a complete player. Again, you're going to shy away from numbers at times. You're not going to get the offensive production you want. You are become, if, you, if you lose patience and, and you get a little uh, scattered, you can lose sight of that. And I think that's what Craig Berube is saying. He's saying, 
don't lose sight of how productive he's been away from the puck. And as he learns to do this more and more and more, guys, I'm telling you, as he develops and matures, he's going to have this in his back pocket. This is going to be a tool, how to play away from the puck. And then all of a sudden, his skill is going to take over, like we saw last night. And then you're going to have a Jordan Cairo, which is, of course, at the end of the day, a complete hockey player. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, man. Great work last night on the pre and post game show with Valley Sports Midwest. Excellent questions uh, to the Blues president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong. We'll talk with you again next week. Sorry, my I called you cute. <laughs> Hey, sorry, it's okay, but I appreciate you, and uh, I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> you got it. This is Joey Vitale uh, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we'll get into uh, Jordan Cairo a little bit more uh, later on this afternoon, but he's one of what I think is, if we are going to consider this transition year and retool, whatever, that's the kind of thing you want to see. Jordan Cairo taking the next step defensively. Uh, Jake Neighbors becoming a legitimate top six forward for you. Hopefully we continue to see signs of uh, Robert Thomas as a goal scorer. At some point, you'd like to see a little bit more out of the power play with some of the guys that you expect to be around long term. Like Those individual moments, regardless of what the record is, regardless of where you're at in the playoff standings, those are mostly the things that I would imagine Doug Armstrong is paying attention to right now. Yeah, I mean, that's what you do. You you hope you find little pieces of improvement so that you can start to mold this identity of what the Blues are trying to accomplish. And and frankly, the way that Jake Neighbors is performing, the way Jordan Cairo is performing, uh, I think there are certain guys on the defensive side, the way that they're performing, seeing what Joel Hofer's looked like at his best, you're starting to see the pieces to the full puzzle that you're wanting to put together but you're just not there yet you're still working on it he's Alex Ferrario that's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes or so we're going to get into questions and answers 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get your questions and you can also ask some on the YouTube page youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL if you want to check out the chat over there but coming up next the Yankees are finally operating like the Yankees again is that a good thing though we'll talk about it next you're on 101 ESPN Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. So the Yankees finally seem to be operating like the New York Yankees of old. Yesterday, trading for Juan Soto. It's like a 27-player deal. Basically, they sent a whole bunch of pitching and a backup catcher to the Padres for Juan Soto is what you need to know as a casual Major League Baseball fan. Alex, I like that the Yankees are operating this way. It reminds me of the Yankees from my childhood where, hey, star player becomes available. Yankees are immediately the team that comes to mind. There was a point in time, though, especially via trade, where that was not the case. They went through a little bit of a dry spell in that regard. So I think this is a smart move by them. I don't think they had a whole lot of other outs as to what they could do to be able to revamp this team. They've got a lot of money committed already to their books. They've got a lot of veteran players already committed to their their roster I didn't see a lot of outs for them. So going out and getting 
a superstar left-handed bat who, yes, only has one year of control, but is, I mean, one of the best young players in the sport right now. I thought it was a super smart deal, and I think it immediately makes them one of the best one-two punches position player-wise in Major League Baseball with Soto and Aaron Judge. What did you make of the move yesterday, Yankees officially acquiring Juan Soto? Uh, I'm much like you. I I love this move by them, and frankly, it's probably going to blow up in their faces, but I, I, (laughs) I prefer teams that look at a team that was underwhelming and say, let's build this up rather than, oh, well, our team was subpar, so let's blow this thing up and trade all of these assets away. Now, they were handcuffed because you're not being able to trade away the Giancarlo Stantons or the Carlos Redon, so you had to, to for- focus with this. But I I, I always think there's a, it's good when there's a, a top team to hate, and it feels like there's a lot of teams, but when the Yankees go out there and spend above the luxury tax and make trades to bring in a Juan Soto and have Aaron Judge, and they're still going to probably sign one of these top starting pitchers because they need help there, it's going to be a team that everybody looks at and says, oh, of course, the Yankees spending all of the money again. And when they struggle, everybody loves to hate them. So I think it's always great for baseball to have villains. Yeah, I, I like the trade by getting Juan Soto because if it, if it works out, you just got, as BK said, one of the best young hitters in, in the sport, and that guy's going to hit a crap ton of home runs with that short porch in right field. And in their case, if this does go poorly, and I think they feel a lot like the Mets of last year where they're spending a boatload of money on a bunch of talent that's like just okay outside of Aaron Judge and Juan Soto, then they can move on from Juan Soto at the end of the year to let him walk in free agency and get a draft pick in return. Now, it won't be as good because they're probably going to exceed the Cohen tax, but Either way, I don't mind the trade from the Yankees' perspective because they had to do it. They had to make this kind of move, and it does add a little bit more um, star power to their lineup. I mean, though Stanton's viewed as a big name, Stanton hasn't been Stanton of old for really the last, what, two, three years? So, like, he's just more of a name in, than a actual star. Same with Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo's a big name there. LeMahieu, big name there. But those guys have underperformed the last couple of years. So, I, I don't know... If they're going to be a playoff team next year still, I'm very skeptical of everything that they've done. But I do like them making this big swing to go get Juan Soto. On the other side, I don't think the Padres are going to be very good this year, guys. <laughs> like They got Mike Schilt. They'll be good. I, I'm a little worried about what they are building right now. Like, yes, they have Bogarts. They have Fernando Tatis Jr. They've got Manny Machado. That's all wonderful. There's reports that they might be shopping Jake Cronenworth. That's probably not ideal for them. They have basically no rotation right now. They had to make this move with Soto for pitching specifically because they didn't have guys that you could legitimately count upon to have a rotation in 2024. Like two of the players that they traded for yesterday will be in their opening day rotation in 2024. That's how that's how dire the need is for them in their rotation because they're losing Waka, they're losing Snell, and they're losing Lugo. That is a we talk about how the Cardinals needed to add three starters. So did the Padres. So they they really needed to make this move for that reason, even if they didn't have to shed the payroll that we all know they, they needed to shed. Got a bunch of guys, though, that know how to scratch and claw their way to the top. Sure, of course. And yeah, that's, that's, the, that's a Mike Schilt group right there. Yeah. I did want to ask it big picture-wise, and this is where I want to get some of the audience in, involved in this as well. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I mentioned how I think the Yankees might have, if not the best one of the best one-two punches position player-wise in Major League Baseball. Soto and Judge, I mean, it's hard to beat that among these other teams. Maybe if you want to talk about defense, you want to bring that into play, sure, you could take, like, the Dodgers or the Braves or the Phillies over them. But I think it's a pretty close call between those. Where do the Cardinals fit into this? I was going through yesterday, and the teams that I think I would take over the Cardinals' one-two punch position player-wise, so Goldie and Arenado, I would take the Yankees. 
I would take the Dodgers with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. I would take the Braves with Acuna and Riley. I would take the Phillies with Turner and Harper over them right now. And then after that, I think I would take the Rangers with Seager and Simeon. I would take the Astros with Jordan Alvarez and pick your second of the other group of players that you want to go with there. Bregman, Altuve, whoever. Would you take the Padres over there with Tatis and Machado? I would. No, I wouldn't. I I think Machado's still very good defensively. Tatis is good defensively, and both can really hit. So I I would take them over him. And Arnado had another down year, two of the last three years, in my opinion, have been down from what my expectations were. Um, And Goldie fell off. But I mean, when I mean fell off, quote unquote, from an MVP caliber year, was still a good, good year. So yeah, I would take the Padres over him still. I would. I I don't. I just don't know who Tatis Jr. is now. After the, everything we've seen over the last few years, I just don't know who he is. And Machado, of course, is still the best of the bunch. But because I don't know what Tatis Jr. is, I'd rather have the known versus the unknown. Was there anybody else on that list that I just gave you? Yankees, Dodgers, Braves, Phillies, Padres, Rangers, and Astros that you you disagree with? That you would have the oh, Cardinals no. ahead of somebody else on that list that I mentioned? No, not those two. There, there's two other teams though that I that oh, I, interesting. I I want your opinion if you'd put them above the Cardinals. One is Houston with um, Altuve and Bregman. What about him? Would you have those two above Arenado yeah, and Goldschmidt? Yeah, I've got Houston on my list. Oh, did you have Houston? Okay, my apologies. He said, he said Alvarez and whoever else. Gotcha, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then Toronto with Vlad, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Boba Shep. I would not have them above the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't either. I question it just because of their age. Now, and if they get Otani, we're having a different discussion. Yeah. But currently, no, I would not have them over the I just, Cardinals. I, I, I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the best of that bunch, but the way that Bo Bichette plays and for how young they are and you take the defense into the play of the offense, I do think it's an interesting conversation. Two of the last three years, I think Arenado's been better than, uh, than Vlad Guerrero Jr. for what it's worth. Better yeah. defender and has been better offensively in two of the last three years. It's really like, if you want to talk about a one-off, Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been a really good player, don't get me wrong, but he's been more really good than elite. In yeah. every year of his career outside of 2021. 2021, he was unbelievable. Like, one of the best players in the sport. Other than that, though, he's been, like, a really good player that you'd like to have on your team, but I can't consider him to be in the class of these other guys that I'm talking about here. It's an interesting one to throw in there. It's one I I thought about for mm-hmm. sure, but as I looked a little bit more into it, he's really young, I would want him, but... Uh, I, I can't put him in that same class with these other player, these other um, duos. I think depending on where Otani signs, if he doesn't sign with the Cubs, any team he goes to, I think might go above the Cardinals. Like if you go to the Red Sox, you have him and uh, Devers. If he goes to the um, Angels, you're going to have him Blue and Trout. Blue Jays would be in this category. Blue Jays would be in this category as well. So I think Otani makes Dodgers. that interesting also. Yeah, Dodgers. But then they got the three. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like Otani and uh, and. Bets would be one of the best one-two punches that we've ever seen in the history of baseball. And I don't think I'm overstating that because I think both of those guys are, I mean, going to be future Hall of Famers for sure. And they'll go down as top 50 players in the history of the sport, probably. I mean, I think it's a best one, two, three punch in all of baseball. Add in Freeman there if you want to go. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I'm talking historically. Oh, I I mean, I would throw throw that top three into that conversation. I mean, I I think Freeman's still one of the most underappreciated players in all of baseball. He's been awesome, even when he left Atlanta, and he really picked it up down the stretch of his career in Atlanta. Dude hits 300 every single season. Yeah, like... I think that matters, and mm -hmm. he hits can hit 30 home runs as well and drive in 100. The reason why I bring this up, you guys want to talk about World Series contenders? Let's look up and down this list that we're just talking about. Dodgers, Braves, Phillies, Rangers, Astros, all those teams. You want to talk about the Yankees? You want to throw the Padres in that mix? Sure, I wouldn't, but those are six other teams that I just brought up there. 
Those are the teams that we see as World Series contenders. And the reason why, one of them, is because they've got this. They've got in their position player side of things. Well, we talk a lot about with the pitching side of things. We talk a lot about, hey, do you have the one-two? You need that. Sure, you absolutely need that. You also need your studs to play like studs. And one of the biggest issues for the Cardinals last season was it was a down year for Goldie. Arenado was, I, I can't even explain what happened to him the first like three months of the season. Terrible defensively and underwhelming offensively, really for the course of the entirety of the season. Really good year offensively, but not Nolan Arenado standards. If that happens again in 2024, even with all of this other stuff that they're trying to do to elevate the floor, the ceiling will still be determined by whether or not you get borderline MVP caliber seasons out of those two players. If you don't, I don't think that the Cardinals can return to being a World Series contender. A lot of what they are doing, and I know Brian Kinney always talks about them as uh, aircraft carriers, right? What are your $25 million players doing? Those are your aircraft carriers, and they elevate everything else around them. That's really what it comes down to for the Cardinals. If Goldie and Arenado do not return to form, this team can't return to form, much like all of these other teams that we have here on this list. Yeah, you always depend on your best players to take your game to the next level. And the difference is every one of those teams that you mentioned, I know exactly what those best two players are going to provide. And it's the reason why I guarantee those teams are going to be at the top of their division. It's why I'm skeptical because Arenado and Goldschmidt, although great, do have their roller coaster seasons. Here's a question for you guys. It's really early. There's like nothing that's happened this offseason so far. So take that into account. Where do you think Fangraphs currently projects the Cardinals to be in win percentage for the 2024 season? Based on the current rosters, this does not include any of the free agents. They haven't signed, so you can't put them on rosters. But Fangraphs has put out their updated win percentage for the 2024 season among all Major League Baseball teams. Where do you believe that the this Cardinals is, this currently is a rank? BK game, I Tanner. I know, I know. So and he has a stupid like, smirk on his face, so you know it's going to be good. It's got to be either really good or really bad, and I'm leaning towards it's probably really good. Um, okay, I'll you say, go good, I'll go bad. Okay, I'll go uh, six, 600. No, where do you think they rank? Like, how many teams do you oh, think are ahead of them? Saying. I should have. 600th in well, Major no, League Baseball? Well, no, but I'll say like a 600 win percentage. There's only one team in Major League Baseball just basically above what I was 60%, thinking. which is the Braves right now. I'll okay. give you that. Um, I'll say, let's see, Braves will be behind. I can see them being behind the Phillies. I'll go third. 14th. Seventh. They are seventh right now in Major League Baseball in winning percentage going into the 2024 season. Braves are at number one. They're at a 60% winning percentage, according to these numbers. Astros, two. Rays, three. Blue Jays, four. How? Phillies, five. Yankees, six. Cardinals, seven. And Yankees and uh, Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, Cardinals are all basically the exact same. They're all right at 53%. So you can make a case that as of today, the Cardinals are fourth in Major League Baseball in terms of their winning percentage projection going into 2024. Alex, you asked the operative question there, how? It's because most of these teams haven't made the moves. The Cardinals are one of the only teams in oh, no, Major I'm League Baseball. Tampa. <laughs> I don't know how the hell Tampa's sitting that high. The Cardinals are one of the only teams in Major League Baseball that have made multiple moves so far in the offseason. There are still, I, I heard it yesterday, like of the top 50 free agents, I think it's like six have signed. And of the top 10, as of a couple of days ago, it was only two that had signed. And only one of them had changed teams, and that was Sonny Gray that had changed teams among the top 10 free agents. So there's still a lot of moves yet to be made, and the Cardinals could absolutely fall down this list as the other contenders make more moves. I found that to be interesting, though, that the projection systems, while down on them heading into the 2023 season, seem to like what they've done heading into 2024. Coming up next. 
314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. K3143999646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's get right into this from the 314. Guys, do you think there's anything Major League Baseball can do to make the winter meetings more interesting again? Or is it always going to be hijacked by a few players making their decisions every season? Mind if I start out with this one? Go for it. I think that we see this in baseball more than other sports because it's it just lends itself to this. Um, you think about everything that takes place in baseball. It is about time, right? And deadlines always end up making the deals in other sports. That's not necessarily the case in the NBA teams immediately. And I mean, immediately upon the open of free agency are signing guys NFL. Same thing is true by the second week of free agency in those sports. Free agency is basically done. The same thing is true, honestly, to a lesser degree in the NHL. All the big stuff's done. Baseball has never been that way. It has always operated where the hot stove season extends into January in some ways. Now, it is worse today than it was 15, 20 years ago. It used to be that the winter meetings did spur some action. I think the biggest difference between now and then is the amount of money that these guys are getting and the amount of years that they are getting. And so it takes longer for teams to really get their best offers out there. Previously, it was like, hey, for the vast majority of the sport, three to four years, and are we off by one or two million bucks here or there? Now it can be opt-outs. It can be deferred money. It can be the way that the contract is structured. It can be 10 years versus seven years. Like, there are so many differences in some of these presentations that it takes a while for these guys to ultimately decide where they're going. So I don't think there's anything baseball can do because I don't think the players union will agree to anything. It was projected a couple of years ago. There was uh, some discussions before that CBA had been signed. Hey, should we put in a deadline at the winter meetings or before Christmas where multi-year contract extensions are no longer after that? The players will never sign up for something like that. I think it'd be good for fans to have that. It's bad for players because when you have a deadline like that, the teams will just wait and wait and wait. And then at the end, okay, here's our final offer. And you're not going to get as good of an offer as there would be otherwise. So I don't think we'll see anything that ends up doing this. So to answer your question directly, I think this is what it is. And when there's big time players like Yamamoto and Otani and a trade like Juan Soto, once in a generation type of a player, this is how it's going to go. When there's not that looming on the market, then I think we'll see more stuff that happens earlier. Agents dictate everything. And that's why you're seeing baseball as this way. The agents don't, I mean, they dictate it, but they don't dictate it as much. It's kind of the players as specifically in the NHL because players want to know where they're going as soon as possible. And I think players probably want that in major league baseball. But as you mentioned, there's so much money floating around that agents tell the players, nope, sorry, we're not doing anything until X player signs and X player that is supposed to sign first. Well, he's going to take his time to make sure everybody calls and, and, and ups the ante. Yeah, I, I think there's, and again, I don't think either would happen because I don't think the players would ever sign off on it. I, I think it's two things that could happen to really speed this process up. One would be a salary cap because in the NHL, the NFL, you have the cap and it is, okay, sure, I think I'm worth this amount, but 
I need to get that contract and I need to get it now because money for that team can dry up otherwise. You know, it's almost like musical chairs runs out and then where are you going to go? And if you miscalculate your market, like Vladimir Tarasenko did this offseason, you then have to settle for the one-year deal. But again, players won't ever agree to a cap. Uh, the second one is... I. The idea of like cutting off when multi-year contracts can be signed, I, I don't like that one, but I do wonder if you would consider, okay, what if we bump the winter meetings back to like, instead of early December, we did like mid-January. And then at the end of January, we have a roster freeze for, you know, up until spring training starts. And then you kind of force some teams to go and start making those moves. But I, again, none of those are going to happen. You almost have to have a manufactured deadline, and there's just not one in baseball. 3143 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, who do you think will be on a different team first? Tyler O'Neill or Yakub Verana? It's a fun question. Um, I'll say Yakub Verana because I don't think they're going to trade Tyler O'Neill. I think they're going to have to cut Tyler O'Neill, and that's going to take longer through the offseason. And then you're going to have teams weigh the option of bringing him in. I, I I don't know how long this is going to go, but now we're at like, what, five, six straight games of him being a healthy scratch. I, I The Thunderbirds play on Saturday. I, I believe if they have a good game, Adam Gaudet, Nathan Walker play well on Saturday and the Blues scuffle Friday, Saturday, there could be a roster move over the weekend that brings one of those guys up in Verona on waivers. I, I would go with Verona as well. I, I think I'm going to go O'Neal. I, I think the Cardinals will Cardinals resign the, him no, to oh, an extension. The the winter meetings are over, and I think the Cardinals have left the winter meetings going, you know what, there's just not a lot out there for O'Neal. Let's just take what we think is the best offer, get it done, let's move on, let's save our whatever it is, four or five million dollars in his projected arbitration salary. The Verona one, I just don't know because it, like I would think if he was going to be on a different team, it would have already happened. And for whatever reason, I still feel like they want to try and make it work with him. And maybe it's just because they feel like if they can make it work and he starts to click, then the power play takes the next step if you put him on one of those units. From the 618, guys, do you think that Jake Neighbors will get a contract extension here in St. Louis before his rookie deal expires? Probably not. Um, my guess is you let the rookie contract play itself out so you can kind of see where your cap's at after next season. Um, plus, if I'm Jake Neighbors, why would I sign a contract? I want to see if I follow this season with 20 goals, follow up with 30 goals next year, I'm going to be looking at a longer-term contract coming out of that rookie deal. So I don't think so. I think the Blues probably, probably a, a, approach it. But I would say you're going to wait this one out until he's an RFA because he's your control anyway. Yeah, I... If I'm both sides, I would wait it out. If I'm Jake Neighbors, I would wait it out because of what you said. Can I go on, improve upon whatever he finishes in goals this season and points? And if I'm the Blues, I would say, okay, let's wait and see if he does it again. Because I don't even think the Blues expected him to be this. And when I mean this, I mean a guy that's projected for, what were you saying earlier in the office, 30 goals right now? And again, I don't know if he'll get there this year or not, but... I, I don't think they saw him being this kind of goal scorer, this kind of producer. I think they knew he'd be a fringe top six, but definitely a top nine guy. I mean, he's playing on your top line right now and looks awesome doing it. So I think the Blues are a little bit surprised themselves with what they have. I uh, totally agree. I think they should resign him, though. I, I would give him an extension if he's willing to consider it. And uh, he seems like the type of player that might. 
Like, I, I could see him saying, hey, just lock me in. I want to be here in St. Louis. I want the certainty. Uh, give me that bridge deal, and then we'll see what happens afterwards when I'm going to get that big-time money uh, as opposed to playing the arbitration game. So I could totally see something like that. I would consider it if he continues playing the way that he has so far. He was awesome again last night. Yeah. And that goal that he scored was spectacular. So uh, I hope that that ends up being the player that he is for the Blues long term. And if he is, signing him to that bridge deal of two, three million bucks on an annual basis that would look like a steal for the Blues sooner rather than later. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. Yeah! Ah. But next, Jordan Cairo is becoming the player that the Blues were asking him to be right before our eyes. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. into the middle. What a play. Stick handles. Score! Jordan Cairo is flying tonight. 3-1 to one, St. Louis. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night as Jordan Cairo with one hell of a goal. Alex, Cairo had been struggling when it came to the goal scoring side of things, but his all-around game, while not perfect, I will concede that text line 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I am conceding the fact that Jordan Cairo is still a below-average defensive player. However, he has gone from one of the worst defenders in the NHL to passable, and that is a massive improvement from this guy, the likes of which I personally did not anticipate. And Alex, as I heard both comments from Craig Berube and Jordan Cairo before the game yesterday, I thought to myself, I think he's starting to get it. Like, I think it's starting to click with Cairo of what they have been asking him to do. Let's first start with what Craig Berube had to say yesterday before the game on what his thoughts were. This is, again, before Cairo had that goal yesterday, what his thoughts are on Cairo's performance this season. You know, he's got to stick with it. I think once they, they start to go in, I think they'll go in in bunches personally, but it's just about him staying with the game plan and and doing other things that are important to the team if you know you're not scoring and i think he's been doing that i do too and i think it says a lot that craig berube has said that now i also found it to be interesting think about the previous iterations of jordan kairu's comments on questions like this and think about what yakub verana said in a question like this earlier this season and now listen to what Jordan Cairo said yesterday prior to the game about his all-around performance this season. It's one of my jobs to score goals, right? I'm not doing that right now. But, I mean, you know, I think other areas of my game, I'm, I'm doing really well right now. So I just want to kind of just continue to keep that up, you know, keep playing hard, you know, keep playing with speed and attacking. And, you know, I know they're going to start going in here. He also added this. It feels different. Obviously, for me, I've always been just a point guy, point guy kind of thing. But now it feels like I'm going to do well in other areas of the ice, which is helping our team win. I'm not really scoring right now myself, but I am helping our line score. I'm setting up plays or I'm back checking. I'm breaking up plays defensively. I'm stopping the other team from scoring and hoping to create more momentum with my speed. Alex, this is the kind of comment that you hear from a player that is starting to figure out what it means to be a winning player in the NHL, not just a point producer in the NHL, but a player that actively contributes towards winning. 
I think it's starting to click for Jordan Cairo. And if that is indeed the case, man, we're starting to see the maturation process right before our very eyes. And it's what you needed to see because, frankly, uh, as much somebody texted in and asked which Jordan Cairo last year or this year would get the most money via free agency. And I would argue this season because teams want goal scorers, absolutely. But you don't want goal scorers if they become a liability. If you don't believe me, look at what Mike Hoffman's market was after the Blues. Look at what Yakub Verana's market has been. Goal scoring is great, but if you can only play in the offensive zone, you're playing 10 minutes a night. And you're not going to be on the ice in crucial situations. Jordan Cairo is starting to get more responsibility. And to his point of he's starting to get more points for his line, I wanted to look this up. So November 26th was when he was put on a line with Kevin Hayes. So that has been a total of six games. In six games, Kevin Hayes has three goals and two assists. He is almost a point-per-game player in three games since Jordan Cairo has been playing on a line with him. So, yeah, he's not scoring the goals right now. That's going to come. You don't end the season with a five-shooting percentage. You, you, you end it, it always, the cream rises to the top, as Darren Pang used to say. But if you're telling me I'm going to get a Kevin Hayes who's going to be a guy who could score 20 goals because Jordan Cairo is creating those assists, I'm all on board with that. And I understand everybody is going to respond to this conversation and say, oh, if you think he's making steps forward, look at that goal that, that Jack Eichel scored. There are going to be hiccups in every single player's game. There are going to be defensive lapses. He was on the ice for a minute and 51 seconds prior to that goal. You're gassed. But his overall game from start to finish, this is a different player. We are not seeing the Jordan Cairo, who was a minus 37 at the end of last season. We're seeing a guy who will probably score you 30 goals this season, but is going to be closer to the plus ratio than the minus ratio. And that is... If you're Doug Armstrong, this is the best thing that could have happened to Jordan Kyrou this season. It's one of the most important developments of the season is that you're starting to figure out, okay, who is Jordan Kyrou? What does the real Jordan Kyrou look like? And what does he do to contribute towards winning for the St. Louis Blues? And so far this year, he's helping you in that area. And if you just look at some of his underlying numbers, man, he's been one of the better players on the team thus far. He's still getting shots on goal. He's still generating offense, as you mentioned, to create for his other line mates. Whenever he's out there uh, previously with the top line, he was creating for Robert Thomas. Whenever he's out there now with Kevin Hayes, he's creating for Kevin Hayes. The biggest thing he needs to do is start capitalizing on the power play. That's the next thing that needs to click for him. And so far, it has not been the case. He has yet to score on the power play this year, which is just a legitimately baffling statistic. He's a third of the way through the season and has zero, zero power play goals despite being promoted up to that top unit. I can't explain that. But despite all of those things that have gone, quote unquote, wrong for Jordan Cairo this year, he has 17 points on the season and is third on the team in points. It's pretty damn good, man, for a guy that is also trying to figure out, hey, where do I fit into this thing when it comes to my defensive performance, and how do I help contribute in that area as well? It's it's still been, I would say it's been a B season from yeah. Jordan Cairo, despite only having five goals through the first 25 games of the year. For for To put this into context for Blues fans, this the way Craig Berube is talking about Jordan Cairo is the exact same way that Ken Hitchcock used to talk about David Perron. He used to talk about David Perron and say, this kid's got all of the talent in the world. We want him to shoot, but you're not going to have success in this league unless you figure out the other end of the ice. And what did David Perron do? He was traded away from the Blues. He went on to find success with Edmonton and Pittsburgh and Anaheim, and he came back to St. Louis and was a consistent 25-goal scorer for them. Baruby is is like the epitome of what Ken Hitchcock was. He wants his players to be as effective in the defensive zone 
as in the offensive zone. And Grant Francis talked with Hitch when he was in town for that ceremony. And Hitch told Grant, this is a kid right now who is on the right track. He is just trying to figure out how to play his style in today's NHL. And when he figures it out, he is going to be a dangerous player. And for $8.5 million, three years from now, when the cap is probably 10 or $12 million more than what it is now, that's going to be a steal for a guy who could be a defensive player that you can uh, that you know is responsible, but is also going to put up 30 to 35 goals. So this is going to be one of those nerdy numbers. You could take it or leave it. I understand. I gave you all of the like actual just box score types of stats, but if you want to look at the nerdy numbers to look at, okay, how is Jordan Kyrou contributing towards winning? What, what does it look like whenever he's out there? There is one player on the entire Blues roster this year that has generated more high danger chances for at five on five when he's on the ice, regardless of who his line mates are more high danger chances for being the opposition. There's one player on the team. It's Jordan Cairo. Nobody on the blues has a 50% or greater expected goal share. So when they're on the ice, based on everything that's happening while they're out there, you would expect them to outscore the opposition. Nobody on the blues has done that this year, but number one on the team at nearly 50%, 49% on the year is Jordan Cairo. Second on the team is Robert Thomas. Third is Pavel Buchnevich. And nobody else is above 45% on the season. Those are your three core players right there. Jordan Cairo has been, based on the underlying numbers, your best player so far this season at generating offense and preventing it from the opposition. Based on when he's on the ice, the team does the best when Jordan Cairo's on the ice. Better than any other player on the team. So, it's there. It's all coming together. It's just a matter of him actually converting on his opportunities. Last night we saw it, and I... I think it was uh, Jeremy Rutherford who said, hey, if there's going to be one goal that opens the floodgates for Jordan Cairo, it probably looks like the one that we saw last night. I tend to agree with that. I, I think that he's starting to get back on track in that regard as well. The one other thing that I wanted to get to blues-wise, Alex, was another player that's starting to show you a little something, and that's Scott Perunovich. There were some advanced nerdy numbers that came out last night that showed that he's been their best defensive player so far this year, best defenseman mm-hmm. this year. I- it is over my head in terms of trying to understand why or how that has been colors. the case. Yeah, and I'm not sure I totally chart. buy it, frankly. <laughs> but, Alex, are you seeing anything right now from Scott Perunovich? And if so, do you think it's time to give him a bigger role on this team? Yeah, I do. So so the the graph that they sent out, the... the it's hieroglyphics. Good luck. Yeah, and... <laughs> And the description next to it basically said what his chart looks like is eerily similar to what Jake Wallman and Vince Dunn's charts looked like prior to them being moved away from St. Louis. And if you remember, Vince Dunn, he got a short time where he was looked at as a top pair defenseman, but his entire time in St. Louis, much like Jake Wallman's, was your third pair defenseman. And you're not going to go anywhere else from there. And then they go on to Detroit, they go on to Seattle, they're used as top pair defensemen, and they start to generate a lot more noise and recognition. And now both are viewed as offensive weapons on the defensive side. This is Scott Perunovich to me. Frankly, I I believe Scott Perunovich should be getting top four minutes because he's performing in the offensive zone. He's definitely too hesitant to shoot. He seems to delegate more to passing than he does to shooting, which that's just a rookie not wanting to make mistakes. Understandably so. But when he's in the offensive zone, he's got the, the skill and the skate skill to be able to tow the blue line, much like a Kale McCarr or a Quinn Hughes and find the open lanes. If you're giving this guy 18, 19 minutes a night, you're going to see more shots on net from the blue line, much like Vegas did last night, more traffic in front. That's how you create more goals. And defensively, he hasn't been a liability. Have how many games could you guys think of where we say, Oh, Scott Perunovich was in a tight spot there. I can't think of many. 
So T Bone mentioned this earlier, and I think he's right. I just don't really notice him a ton. Yeah, and that is ice. a great thing to have for this team. And by no means, you know what? Maybe you hope he can play with Colson Pareko. That's not what I'm saying right now. But Scott Perutovich should be playing with a Justin Falk 18 minutes a night because his impact in the offensive zone is what the upside is, why you drafted him in the second round, and you're not going to get that on third pair playing 12 minutes a night. And if he's a defensive liability, guess what, guys? The other guys have been defensive liabilities, too. Money Pucks, Money Puck says the top two pair defensemen that you have are the two worst defensemen pairs in the National Hockey League. Oh, God. So I don't really think it can go worse from where you're at right now. And to that point, like, I, I said this in the office, and you just brought it up, BK, I... I feel like I haven't noticed him in any game. And you can look at that on the defensive side and say, hey, that's probably a good thing. I'd also point out on the offensive side that may not be a great thing because he is supposed to be a a puck-moving defenseman. Now, with that being said, I'm not trying to say, like, I think Scott Pernovich has been bad. Honestly, I don't know how to really read into what Scott Pernovich has done so far this year. But that's what Jake Wallman and Vince Dunn were, too. Well, I knew Wallman was going to be up, like, as a forward, so I knew what he was (laughs) doing. Which is what he is right now. Uh, Yeah, I, I had an idea what he was doing. But to your point on potentially pushing him up in the lineup, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing it because what's the worst that can happen? Maybe you lose three, four in a row, and then you just change it back up. It's not like you're winning six, seven games in a row, and we're talking about a change. No, what did we say? Like the last eight games has been win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Maybe you bump him up. Maybe he provides more of a spark offensively, and maybe he ends up taking Tory Krug's spot there, and maybe this team can then take off and go do something during this stretch in the schedule, which is a little bit easier too, which may be another reason to potentially throw him up there. He's He's more... He's more likely to put you in a scenario offensively where you're scoring goals than he is putting you in a bad spot defensively. And I think right now you're utilizing him in the neutral zone and faceoffs in the offensive zone. I think you need to be using him in a situation with a Justin Falk to where both guys can be offensive weapons or you put him with a Colton Pareko at times. They did this in preseason an awful lot, which tells you they they expect upside. I personally believe it's time to give him that upside and let him run for a little bit. He's Alex. That's T-Bone on BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, there was a big pitcher that signed yesterday in Major League Baseball free agency news. Would you rather have him on that contract or the two back-end starters that the Cardinals ended up acquiring? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit, but coming up next, it is time for the latest edition of the Major League Baseball offseason roundup. Yeah. Here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So far, that's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Really it's time for your Major League Baseball offseason. Round up. T-Bone was talking to me. Alright, let's start out with the uh, big move that happened last night, Alex. Oh yeah? What happened? The Cardinals Candelario make a move? Candelario has a deal in place with the Cincinnati Reds. It's three years. It's $45 million. There's a club option for 2027 as well at $15 million. This could be a four-year deal oh. worth $60 million. What a move. Candelario was a no-name up until this past season. Really nice year for Candelario. However... This is a guy that is an infielder, Alex, and the Reds have a hundred of them. What no, are they doing? Here? Not great infielders, though, and now they have one in Heimar Candelario. What are they doing? What am I missing here, Alex? I, I would imagine you want more options. I mean, defensively, were they good at third base? Because it felt, wasn't third base like the position that they they were just kind of putting, plugging people into that and seeing if it worked? Of, that was 
two years ago when it was Suarez was there. But I thought they used Suarez at shortstop. Well, he's not there anymore. Well, I know he's not there anymore. But it, it wasn't felt there like last year either. I thought third base was their weak spot last season. And they that's used what, McLean and De La Cruz there. And De La Cruz, they're hoping is a shortstop, correct? Yeah. I and all of them are. Well, that's true. So then you move Indy over to second. I think you're just hoping to bring in good defense, and that's what Candelario provides. You're not I, hoping any offense comes in with this. So when I first saw this, two things popped into mind. First, I went, what? And then second, I went, oh, maybe it's a typo. Maybe it's supposed to say Red Sox. And then it was actually the Reds. But I think maybe tinfoil. I wonder if they're going to be trading both India and another player from their depth chart there at the major league level to go get a starting pitcher, whether it be Dylan Cease. uh, Surely not glass now, but maybe they're working on something with like Miami, for example, or the Seattle Mariners. Like that's kind of my theory is that this is a, okay, we're going to bring him in. We think he's a really good player. He's got big league experience. Let's bring him in. Now we know we're trading Jonathan India. We've known that for a while. Now we open up whether it be McLean, not De La Cruz, but open up another one of these infielders that we have on this roster to be a part of that trade package. Yeah, I'll be curious. Ooh, he's not good at third base. No, I, I think he's more likely to play first base than third base, if I'm being totally I honest he with was you. Third, yeah, I, I would I would just move him there. I, I would play him at first and say, okay, hopefully you provide us a little bit of offense and figure it out from there. But, man, this is a guy that, depending on the season, has been very up and down in terms of his, his performance offensively. In 2021, really good, 20% above league average. The next year, 20% below league average offensively. And then last year, rebounds with another 20% above league average offensive season. I don't know, man. Uh, I would not have committed $15 million per year to him. I feel like there's other ways that you could have utilized this money in a better way. But I guess credit to the Reds. At least they're spending on their team now, which is a better version of the Reds than what we have seen in recent years. This is just not the route that I personally would have gone. I also think it speaks to how bad this free agent position player class is. There's just not a lot of good players out there. And it's why I think eventually you're going to see Tyler O'Neill get moved. I don't think you're going to get a ton for him, but I think somebody will trade you a reliever for him because of how bad this class is, dude. This is why it's the wild, wild Midwest. All right, continuing along with our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. Apparently, the the White Sox have said, eh, we're going to wait a little bit on this Dylan C stuff. Make up your damn mind. One week we're trading them. The next week we're not trading them. It sounds like they're still going to trade him, but they're waiting now, which is smart. This is the same thing that the Rays have said all along they're doing with Tyler Glass now is, hey, we're going to hold off. We'll see what happens with the uh, Yamamoto sweepstakes, the uh, Blake Snell sweepstakes. We'll see who gets Jordan Montgomery. And then whoever misses out on all of them, pretty sure they're going to be desperate to add a guy like Tyler Glass now. i.e. all of the trades you people offered sucked, so up the ante if you want them. Probably. Yeah, I I think they're waiting to get more, and they believe that they will get more. And I think they're right if they wait until these top free agent starters end up going on the market. So that's where we're at with them. It's probably why John Mosaloc said what he did yesterday at the winter meetings where he said, hey, uh, we're going to wait. We don't think anything's imminent on the market. It sounds like everything's gummed up right now. They're waiting on Otani. They're waiting on Yamamoto. They needed the uh, Juan Soto trade to become finalized. And once all of that takes place, which sounds like it should happen by the end of the weekend, maybe early next week, then we'll really start to see a little bit more movement in the free agency. So glad we had those winter meetings in Nashville to get so much accomplished in the offseason. Yeah, I felt like a conference call, right? Nothing gets done. <laughs> Those conference calls um, are the worst. I, I, To be honest, like this was the least shocking report I've ever seen tweeted out. 
we're outside of Morosi connecting everybody to everybody. Um, I Because it does make sense. You have to wait. You have to see where the free agents go because teams would much rather spend that dollar than give up on their prospects because they're always afraid of trading away the next best thing. So it's not shocking. You Right now you're at the point where you had to blow them away with an offer. I, I'm not stunned that the White Sox want to hold on to season. I'm not shocked that Glassnow didn't get moved here at the winter meetings either. Speaking of J.P. Morosi, speaking of Tyler Glassnow, according to Morosi, the Cubs are one of the teams that are in discussions with the Rays for Tyler Glassnow. The Reds are another team that have talked to the Rays about Glassnow. Again, all of that is according to J.P. Morosi. The other piece of news here as it relates to the Cubs, though, is they're also in on Shota Imanaga and Yamamoto. They are in on all of the big pitchers, it sounds like, right now, and they have not conceded the idea of getting in on Shohei Otani. I think you can go ahead and write them off. I don't think they're realistic candidates there. How would you feel as a Cardinals fan, Alex, if the Cubs ended the offseason with Tyler Glasnow and Shota Imanaga, one of the scenarios that we certainly discussed a lot here in St. Louis that the Cardinals could have done? Did they upgrade their offense? Because that's my... Let's say they bring back Bellinger. They basically have the same offense, okay. but then they added Imanaga and um, Tyler Glass now to then the rotation. I, I'm, I'm a little... It's, it's not as clear that the NL Central is yours. I think there's going to be somewhat of a battle with the Cubs because that's that's a really good one-two punch. It's a better one-two punch than you have with Glass now and Imanaga. And if you bring back Bellinger, your offense was pretty in a really good spot. And we've already heard David Kaplan tell us yesterday that they've got some pieces coming up. So that makes the Cubs a lot more dangerous, which means the NL Central is going to be a little bit more difficult unless you make an upgrade to your pitching staff. I mean, I think you and the Cubs would be co-favorites for the division. I don't know if they significantly have upgraded the offense enough to go past you. I mean, they've got a better rotation than you, than what you have. I mean, you've got the Sonny Gray, and they're going to counter with Justin Steele, Imanaga, and Tyler Glass now. Yeah, that's a much better one-two-three punch than whatever the hell's behind Sonny Gray in your rotation, how you throw them out there together. So I think you're probably co-favorites because I think your offense is better. Um, but again, like if they bring in another piece outside of Ballinger, then I think the Cubs become the favorites in the division. Elsewhere in the NL Central, the Brewers are active on the trade market. Unfortunately for them, it's about trading away pieces as opposed to getting some big time pieces in return. According to Ken Rosenthal, there have been discussions between the Dodgers and the Brewers about Corbin Burns potentially going to the Dodgers. The Dodgers are in on everybody, man. Like literally everybody that is a big time free agent or trade target. They've probably inquired about them so far. The piece that I found to be really interesting here, though, is not just that the Dodgers have uh, been intrigued by Burns. Everybody should be. It's that they have discussed the possibility of adding Willie Adamas into this deal as well and sending Gavin Lux to the Brewers in return to give them a potential shortstop plan there long term. Alex, if you're the Brewers, are you interested in acquiring Gavin Lux in a potential Corbin Burns deal? I don't think so because I, I I if it was just Corbin Burns, I'd be all on board with it. But I think if I'm the Brewers, I'd like to keep Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas has been good. Can, man. He's got a one year left. I believe, oh, he's going to get expensive in? before he gets to free. Agency. I mean, to me, that's 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 a, it's as close to a win win as you can ask for. I mean, you're not going to win any trade when you give up Corbin Burns, but you know, you're not keeping him. And Gavin Lux is a, is a pretty good infielder to have for that group, especially if you're trying to kind of reset the table. Um, I'd be on board with that. I mean, it sucks to keep him in the National League. I'd love the Cardinals to go after it. But, man, if you get Gavin Lux and give up Corbin Burns, who you're going to lose after this season, the same with Adamas. It's a decent trade for Milwaukee. I'm willing to be wrong on this one. I just don't think Gavin Lux is very good. I've always like been shorting his stock long term, and now he had a significant injury a year ago. 
I suppose if you're Milwaukee, it makes sense to buy low and to hope that he can recapture some of the form of what he was when he was one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball. But sometimes I feel like we do this with the Dodgers, what we have done in other sports with like if you've got a big time prospect that leans on the Warriors, everybody's like, oh, watch out for them. Right. So many of the big men that have gone there who they're going to be the next big thing. I feel like we do this with the Dodgers all the time. Who was the last big Dodgers prospect position player wise that ended up living up to every possible expectation? It doesn't happen very often. Like Will Smith, maybe. And he wasn't the same caliber of a prospect as Gavin Lux. So I I don't know, man. I, I guess I understand why you would go that route. I might just target something a little different. Somebody with a little little less certainty of what they've already done in the big leagues. A little more upside. I, I don't know that he would be a guy that I would be looking at. See, I like view Lux and Adamas as a wash. Like, I, I think it's fine. You get him in under control. You still hope that there's upside there, even though he is coming off an injury. But it's uh, but Corbin Burns, though, is the thing. I know, but I think you can get more for Burns in that deal. Like, I think Lux and Adamas are like a one-for-one, one, and then you throw in whatever you're getting for Burns, that's if right. that makes sense. Because, like, I look at Adamas, and everybody thinks, oh, Willie Adamas, that's a good shortstop. Yeah, he came on the scene in Milwaukee when he got dealt there but 2022 10% above league average this year 5% average offensively and he's not that great defensively in my opinion so Our text line by the way says Corey Seager's the last one that ended up living up to all expectations exactly he debuted in 2015 <laughs> yeah it's been almost a decade it's been a while he was the debut guy that ended up becoming everything that everybody expected him to be so I think that speaks to Altman might be becoming that guy we'll maybe see. just so early but yeah. possibly I liked what we saw from him last year but so. I I don't mind the Lux and uh, in the trade because I don't think he's the one piece going back for those two um sure. I think he is the quote-unquote centering piece and then there's going to be more prospects built in around that but I don't mind that idea from the Milwaukee Brewers last thing here before we get to a signing that we'll discuss further in the next segment there was a big deal that went down yesterday and it officially was completed this morning Juan Soto headed to the Yankees Alex what was your biggest takeaway from Juan Soto heading to the Bronx I I like it because I'm excited that the Yankees are are going back to this era because you get that villain back I saw um uh, there, uh, Brett Cashman talking about how we're going back to the Steinbrenner area, and that's what this was, where every great player should be playing with the New York Yankees. So it's going to be fun to see Juan Soto and Aaron Judge in the outfield until they don't know how to catch the ball, but those bats are going to be dangerous, man. If they can stay healthy, that's going to be one damn good lineup for the Yankees. Yeah, I, I like the move because they had to make the move, but I still am skeptical if they're going to be a playoff team because outside of Soto and judge like those two guys are awesome but you need to bounce back from a rizzo you need your young shortstop to pick up the pace you need lemayhu to bounce back stanton needs to be healthy which uh checks notes never happens um you need the rotation to bounce back and roll down like they had to make the move don't get me wrong and juan soto is one of the best players in baseball but i still could see where they end up spending like 300 million dollars on payroll and don't even get out of get into the playoff picture yeah, I, I, I loved it. I, I love that this is the move that they decided to make. They had to. They needed a left-handed power. They needed on base. They needed a guy that can be a star along with Aaron Judge in that lineup. They were one of the worst teams in all of Major League Baseball when it came to left-handed hitters last year. Second worst OPS among lefties in the American League. That is not what the Yankees are supposed to be. You're going to see a lot better next year with Juan Soto in that lineup. So love the move. Think it was smart. They gave up a lot of pieces but it's a lot of pieces. This is kind of similar to some of the other big-time star players that end up getting moved. Goldie, Arenado, to name two. Mookie Betts, to name another. 
when you get a lot of pieces for a guy, it tends to be that the guy is the one that you actually wanted in that deal. I like the move for the Yankees. I think it was really smart. Coming up next, we got to discuss the other move that was made yesterday. Eduardo Rodriguez is headed to the desert to play for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Four years, $80 million. So a $20 million per year basis. Alex, would you rather have Eduardo Rodriguez on that deal for the Cardinals or the two back-end starters that they ended up signing. We'll get into that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to the junk drawer here in just a little bit. But Alex, there was a big move yesterday by the Arizona Diamondbacks. Kind of came out of nowhere. Eduardo Rodriguez, who I had seen zero buzz about all offseason, decided that he's going to take his talents to the desert. That's not the Midwest. Side note. Uh, what happened to the Dodgers at the trade deadline? He flipped them the good old bird. He didn't want to go to the West Coast for the Dodgers at the trade deadline, but now he's good with going to Arizona. All right, cool, whatever. Let's set that aside for a moment. Who he likes ends up LA? A four year deal with Arizona for eighty Traffic. million dollars. Roughly $20 million on a per year basis. I think a really good deal, honestly, for the Diamondbacks. They're going to be a problem in the National League once again heading into 2024. But let's set that aside. How do you feel about that $20 million per year deal for Eduardo Rodriguez compared to what the Cardinals decided to do with their back-end starters? I think we all in this room agree, I'd rather have Sonny Gray at three years, $75 million than Eduardo Rodriguez at four and 80, personally. Yep. But the back-end starters that the Cardinals acquired, Lynn and Gibson, are going to cost them more than what it will cost to have Eduardo Rodriguez on the roster next year at least for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Which side of that would you rather have? The Cardinal side with the two back-end starters or Eduardo Rodriguez? I think I would rather have the Rodriguez side, although I can understand the argument for Lennon Gibson because you know you're going to be able to get 185-plus innings from both of those guys, even if it's going to be ugly. You know they're going to pitch for you. Uh, But I would much rather have the top piece of my rotation more dangerous than worrying about having five guys that I know are going to be out there every single time. Because if I had a gray Rodriguez, Michaelis as my one, two, three, that looks so much better than a gray Michaelis and Kyle Gibson or a Lance Lynn. So I think I agree. I think I would rather go with the Rodriguez on the $20 million potential AAV. Cause he's got a little bit more swing and miss than what miles Michaelis has. And he's coming off of a pretty good year. And you can probably pencil him in for about 160 innings. But the thing for me is, so either one of these scenarios, I mean, if you sign Rodriguez, you're definitely not in the pitching market still. They would not be looking at a glass now, a Correct. cease, whatever else. That was my follow-up question here. But now, with that being said, and right now they might be in the pitching market, we'll see, but let's say the rotation is set for this year with the moves that they've made. All right, I'm willing to listen to the argument that Sonny Gray can be a number one. He's just been overshadowed by ones in his grip. I can totally hear that argument because, hell, the guy just finished second in the AL Cy Young. So I'm willing to listen to that argument. But where it doesn't become an argument is in the scenario where you sign Eduardo Rodriguez and don't sign a Gibson and Lynn, I know I've got a number two. I know Rodriguez is a number two. I look at this rotation right now, and I go, eh, you know, Michaelis, I, I guess he could be a two, but he's been kind of a roller coaster throughout his career here in St. Louis. So I don't think he's a two. I think he's more of a three. So I think in this scenario, are you lacking maybe the number five and maybe you're going with a Zach Thompson in that role? Yes, which I still think you probably would have needed to add another arm for like the Nick Martinez deal or something like that. But I can still look at Zach Thompson and go, okay, I think he can be a five. And honestly, the number five starter is not a big deal. 
where the Cardinals are right now, they're missing the number two, and they still haven't improved upon, we need two guys ahead of Miles Michaelis. And that's why I would say take the Rodriguez side of things, because then if you would have signed Rodriguez instead of Lynn and Gibson, I understand there'd be question marks about your innings pitched and all that, but you upgraded twice over Miles Michaelis. Sonny Gray and Eduardo Rodriguez are better pitchers than Miles Michaelis, and that's what the whole goal of the offseason was. Yeah, I think it all comes down to what they do next. If they still are out there, and I know that John Denton was on with the uh, balloon party yesterday and said he thinks that they're going to kind of step back aside, uh, here for a little bit, and he doesn't anticipate them adding another member to the rotation. I, I've heard conflicting stuff on that, and I, this is not me questioning John Denton's reporting. I just I don't know what their plans are when it comes to their rotation. If they end up going out there and acquiring Dylan Cease, one of the Mariners starters, one of the Marlins starters, or Tyler Glass now, I think that shifts what I'm talking about here because I would rather have that than Eduardo Rodriguez Agreed. and not adding anything else the rest of the offseason. So that, it becomes really difficult for me um, if that is what their plan is. But if we are to believe what we heard yesterday from John Denton, that they will not add another starter, in that scenario, I would prefer the upside of Eduardo Rodriguez. He is not an ace. He is not a number one. He is, in fact... I believe a definitive downgrade from Sonny Gray. I think Sonny Gray is clearly a better pitcher at this point in his career than Eduardo Rodriguez is in his career. But I think T-Bone's right. If you've got those two guys with Gray and Rodriguez, they both slot in ahead of Miles Michaelis. And now you've got a one, two, three. That makes sense. It may not be an ace like you have with the Phillies or like you potentially have with the Dodgers, like you have with some of these other legitimate contenders, the Braves, the Diamondbacks. But you do have guys that make sense in each of those spots in your rotation. I think a lot of what happens the rest of the way will influence how I feel on them deciding to go with their back-end starters early on over a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez. The other bit of news that came along yesterday when it comes to the Cardinals was Tyler O'Neill. Alex, it was reported by Katie Wu that the Cardinals' next plan of action is to trade Tyler O'Neill, and then everything else will happen after that move is in place. As Liam Neeson once said, Good luck. There is urgency to move on from Tyler O'Neill. So much so that John Mosaloc said it publicly. Hey, we're trying to trade Tyler O'Neill. He does not have a spot on this roster in 2024. When you say that publicly, like, first of all, I think everybody knew it already. But there is zero leverage for the Cardinals right now. Nobody expects them to have him on the roster in 2024. So for a lot of teams, if I'm in charge, I would say, yeah, we'll call your bluff. You keep asking for more? No. We're not giving you anything of meaning. Now, we'll give you a lottery ticket that's down in our system that maybe five years from now becomes something like Juan Yepes did. But that's what you get. You get a little something that is an A ball right now, and you'll take it, and you'll move on your merry little way and hopefully get a reliever with the money that you saved there. But that's it. Alex, I do find it interesting, though, that the Cardinals seem to be kind of stopping their pursuits of relievers while trying to trade Tyler O'Neill. And the only thing that can come to mind for me is... Man, they need to move that money. They need to move $5 million in order to add $5 million to their payroll. I don't know that that is indeed the case, but it sure kind of feels that way when this is the way that they're operating right now. Well, and it feels like they're moving him because they want to sign a free agent bullpen arm. And before you sign that free agent bullpen arm, we want to make sure we clear the glut of players that don't need to be on our 40-man roster right now. Because, you know, the Cardinals with their 40-man roster, it's got to be airtight. So I don't think it coincides with the trade for the starting pitcher. I think that's just the market they're waiting Agreed. to I'm still develop. About the reliever. Yeah, I think this is just that free agent signing that they say, we, we've targeted the players we want, but until we can get that guy, let's get rid of this piece on our roster. Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, we've got X amount 
allocated to the side for whatever trade we might make for the starting pitcher. I'm assuming it's not $25 million, so I'm assuming not Glass now. Maybe it's Cease and what he's going to get, like $8 million. I, I think they are trying to free up that $5 million so they can go get a bullpen arm at that 5 to $7 million range, like a Phil Maton, for example. Like That's the contract he's going to be looking for. So I think you're right. I think I think they're basically trying to dump this money as quick as possible so that they can just quickly get back into that free agent market. Otherwise, I think if they had moved O'Neill, say, before the winter meetings, I think there's a chance we'd be talking about a new bullpen arm right now. But they haven't been able to. They have no leverage, as you said. I think there's a chance that they still just end up cutting Tyler O'Neill before they have to give him the contract in the arbitration process. Somebody on the text line asked what I think is a pretty interesting question. How would Tyler O'Neill rank among the current outfielders that are available in free agency? This is something that could play into it for the Cardinals, where they're saying, hey, We'll wait until some of these top free agents end up signing, and then we'll go ahead and trade him. I think Jock Peterson is clearly ahead of him. Cody Bellinger is ahead of him. Teoscar Hernandez is ahead of him. Jorge Soler is ahead of him. Maybe Michael Brantley. I think Randall Gritchick is probably a similar kind of a market to what Tyler O'Neill would have. I, I, I would personally prefer Randall Gritchick. Uh, Rosario is probably in a similar kind of market, but maybe a little bit better. Duvall is better. Uh, David Peralta is similar. Tommy Pham is better. I mean, there's just a lot of guys that I would rather have than Tyler O'Neill. Whit Merrifield, I would rather have. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I would rather have. Robbie Grossman, I would probably even rather have. I I don't know, man. It's five five and a half million dollars is really the draw if you're a team looking at Tyler O'Neill. It's about hey, we can get him for five and a half million dollars, and most of the players that I just mentioned will be closer to ten million dollars on yeah. a per year basis. But my the thing that you said about all those guys, most of them for the most part, is I know that that guy's going to go out and play every day. Yeah. I don't have to worry about his back, his knees, his ankle, whatever might be bothering bothering Tyler O'Neill. So though he is little cheaper and the upside is probably a little bit better or not a little bit better is better than basically every name you said on that list yeah he's worth five and a half million dollars why in his final year of arbitration because he hasn't been on the field yeah i i don't understand why they went about this this way um and now i am more than willing to say that i was wrong if they get something of significance in return for him but i think if that was going to happen it it would have already taken place they have clearly been shopping him aggressively and there's nothing out there right now so um i i don't think they're going to get a whole lot in return for tyler o'neill coming up next let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. I'm BK. So, Alex, what do you think it would be like if you stole $22 million from your employer over the course of a four-year stretch? High anxiety. Somebody would figure it out. Somebody would figure it out. But I'd be living lavishly until somebody did. Might we should ask a, Brett Cecil. Yeah. I, he'll, he'll let us know. Um, wow. Really? Wow. Really? It would, re, I mean, you really? were wrong, but we didn't have to put his name I felt on. I like that was the one. Unbelievable, man. No. I probably would have gone like Andrew Miller. See, he at least was available. What? what? He made up a blister on his toe to be out for like three months. The Cardinals made that up for him. How much do you Whatever. steal from the company? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you my salary, but that much. <laughs> I was trying to get you to 
Slide that in there. Uh, former Jaguars employees accused of stealing more than $22 million from the franchise between 2019 and 2023. You may ask yourself, how did he do that? Well, he exploited the organization's virtual credit card program and used that money to buy, among other items, two vehicles, a condo, and a designer watch worth more than $95,000. Some of that money was also used to purchase cryptocurrency Ooh. and to place bets <laughs> with online gambling sites. Jesus, man. Come on. Can you be a little bit more obvious with this one? Now, listen, first of all, to be able to steal $22 million over a four-year stretch tells you that they didn't find this out until pretty far into the situation. Yeah, probably when the dude purchased a private jet and you're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, oh, oh, I thought you wouldn't see it. Can you imagine going through, you know, you're the, the CFO for the Jaguars, right? And you're like, man, I I can't find $22 million from the oh, past four years. Could you, be, could you imagine years? being that accountant for the Jaguars? You're like, oh my God, there's, oh, did you say that? I thought you were talking about the employee stealing it and feeling good about it. No, the chief financial officer, the guy that runs oh, the I finance. thought you were talking about the employee. <laughs> never listens. No, not never. Most um, of the time. A, two vehicles and a condo. Well, did you see Maybe how he was doing this? you got to put your name on that stuff, dude. Did you see he was, like, duplicating things in the book? So, like, he would put down, like, I don't know, whatever it is, like, an expense, like, you know, travel meal plan. But then he would just duplicate it to mask over the money that he was stealing to buy his watch that, or whatever. How would that mask over it? Wouldn't you see then two charges for that? Clearly not. Clearly not, because the it fact, went for four the years. The fact that it didn't get noticed for four years, that person should be in deep-ish. I mean, $22 million over a four-year period, that's that what? a ton of money. That's like five and a half or yeah, six million six dollars per, year. per year. That tells you just how much money these NFL teams make, by the way. Yes. So where they, they don't just even, overlook it. They look over $6 million just magically disappearing, and they it's just like a drop in the bucket for them. Dude. It's I, insane. Anytime that you hear franchises cry poor, just remember this story. That they can just, like... A comma was put in the wrong place, basically, for their books. And they're like, oh, man, I want... That's weird. Did somebody end up taking a couple extra, like, lunch breaks over you, the last few years? Do you send out what? a mass email to everybody and just... $24 million dollars <laughs> yeah. was just missing and had uh, disappeared yeah. into thin air. Does anybody, anybody know where $22 million <laughs> is? Because it's misplaced from my accounting right now. Yeah, Blind like, CC shot con in it. And, dude, the, the fact that it's so amazing is, like, when I first saw the headline of this story, I was like, okay, this had to be, like, four or five people doing this. No, no this one is one dude. person. It's this one dude who one, bought himself a condo. He bought a condo. Oh, yeah, that's the that's where you win south, man. You got to slow play that. My, my dude is out here paying cash for a condo in a beautiful area in Florida, which I can't even imagine how much he spent on just the condo alone, and nobody noticed. Does he get to keep it? No, nobody noticed. It in cash? And, and forget that. Like some of those things that he bought, like the condo, maybe nobody goes there. You know, like. But it's in his name. I know, but but what I'm saying is, like, that's true. But like. <laughs> Imagine, like, you know, it's no, not like he's in inviting, name. it's not like he's hosting the Christmas party at That's work fair. to where, like, everybody's coming to the house. They're like, wow, there's definitely no chance he's he can afford this cars, with his salary. He's got two cars, one's a Tesla and one's a brand new yeah, truck. I like, like that, that one's obvious, but the one that's the most obvious to me was, like, the $90,000 watch. <laughs> I like, if this guy's buying a $90,000 watch, nobody's going to ra raise a question when he wears it into the office. I like to think that the guy that stole all this is, like, an account executive that, you know, probably makes, like, $45,000 a year. And they're like, how'd, sure. you, how'd you get this? <laughs> Just... Had some good good months, you know, just really good sales. I'm, I'm great.
at working my financial situation. A, a grandfather passed away and just left me all of this money. Among the other things that he purchased that I did not mention include sports memorabilia, a country club membership, spa treatments, concerts, sporting event tickets, home furnishings, and the luxury wrist watch. Not just the one that was more than $90,000, but many others as well. Why do you buy so many watches? You're only going to wear one, right? He has been charged with wire fraud and oh. one count of illegal monetary yeah. transactions. If oh. convicted, he may be required to forfeit all of the property that is in the amount of $22 million. So may have to. He might walk out of this with at least one of those wristwatch. No, no chance. I don't know how he's going to be proven innocent in that one. What was he? Oh, it says he was a manager of financial planning and analysis. This guy was like a a middle manager in the Jaguars organization. What a life. Found a way to get $22 million into his account. I hope he he lived well for those four years. I wonder if he bet for or against the Jaguars. Because if he's betting on sports, I would imagine he's got a little inside knowledge on the Jaguars. And he's probably putting some decent sized bets down on Jacksonville. When did Lawrence get there? Two years ago? Uh, Oh, yeah. He was definitely Calvin Ridley is just on the field like, are you freaking kidding me? I missed a year for what this guy's doing. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. This guy may miss a lot of years, Calvin. So yeah, a lot of years of his life. Somebody on the text line. He's going to be lucky to walk out of there with his underwear. True. Uh, I don't know. If it's lavish underwear, probably not. Coming up in 15 minutes is T-Bone's favorite time of the week. It is time for our segment called Believe It or Not. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you want to get your scenario in, we'll tell you if we are believing it or or not. That is coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Neighbors officially is in the category of a building block for the Blues, in my opinion. What he's done so far this year, nothing short of remarkable. We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. it in. Neighbors with Butchnevich. Neighbors to the goal. He scores! Jake Neighbors with his 10th of the year. Ties the game for the Blues. 10.40 to go. Period number one. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I'm falling in love with Jake Neighbors. I've always been intrigued by the player, the person really, more so than the skills. He always has just felt like he's mature beyond his age, Alex. Anytime you talk to Jake Neighbors, you're like, man, is this guy like Braden Shin 2.0 on and off of the ice? Because it feels that way as you're discuss- as you're talking with him. But now you're starting to see the game matching the maturity. And so far this year, he has 10 goals on the season. 10 in the first 25 games of the year. Here's a BK stat for you. Who was the last player, Jake Neighbors' age or younger in the Blues system, to score at least 10 goals in the first 25 games of the year for the Blues? Do you know who that player was? 10 goals or more. At his age, this early in the season. Patrick Berglund. Nope. <laughs> oh, man, I saw a stat with his um, name on it last night on Bally. There's only been one it. to do this since the 2000 season for the St. Louis Blues, other than Jake Neighbors. Um, Vladdy? Vladimir Tarasenko. Vladdy or Perron. That is a, officially the case. Jake Neighbors is doing something that only one other player, 
Vladimir Tarasenko has done in the last 20 years in terms of his goal scoring production. Now, we got to get those assist numbers up, Jakey. He has no. one assist so far on the season. Brandon Saad made a career of that. Which yeah, well, is wild, is to say the least. Mm. But Alex, I can go through if you'd like, and I can read some of the other players that are on this list, not just in the blue system, but in the NHL over the last few years that have accomplished such a thing. Man, every single player on this list, if you do this at this age, this early in the season, you're a good player. Like, it's guaranteed every single other dude that's done it was really freaking good. I'll give you some of these names, Alex. You tell me kind of after I'm done with this, what comes to mind as you're hearing these names in regards okay. to Jake Neighbors and what he's accomplished, right? Yep. Cole Cofield, Jack Hughes, uh, Tim Stutzel, Joshua Norris, Brady Kachuk, Lucas Raymond, Co- Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Sveshnikov, Matthew Barzel, Brock Besser, Lu- Pierre-Luc Dubois, Elias Pettersson, Matthew Kachuk, Patrick Laine, David Posternock, Braden Point, uh, Timo Meyer, Elias Pettersson, Kyle Connor, Alex Debrinkit, Jake DeBrusque, Kasperi Kapanen. Austin Matthews, Miko Rantanen. That's every single player over the last five seasons that in their first 25 games of the year scored 10 goals or more at Jake Neighbors' age or younger. This dude is surrounded by a bunch of dudes that went on to become legit stars in the league. The one guy that was most similar, though, to the way that Jake Neighbors has gone about it, where it's mostly goals, not a whole lot of distribution, is Jake DeBrusque. And Alex, as I look at what Jake DeBrusque has become in the NHL, that looks a lot like what I think you could see from Jake Neighbors. Consistent 25-goal scorer, puts up 40 to 50 points per year, plays up and down the lineup for Boston, adds a little bit of that punch to the lineup as well, some of that physicality. We've talked about him here in St. Louis as a potential trade target in recent years. That feels a lot to me like the kind of player that the Blues are starting to develop here in St. Louis. And I actually think Jake Neighbors has more upside than Jake DeBrusque because Neighbors plays the power forward role. Jake DeBrusque is more of a perimeter player. He's got an incredible shot and he plays off of the rush. Jake Neighbors, as we've seen, can score that way. We just saw it last night, deke a defenseman and score the goal. But he's more the prototypical power forward. And that type of player is somebody who could score you 30 goals in a season. So uh, I I love those comps. And you're right. I mean, a Jake Neighbors doing this early in his career means there's more to come as you go because sometimes when guys take longer to develop, you don't see him find that ground fast enough. And Jake Neighbors, who's finding that role in a matter of a season, I mean, remember last year it was half of a season to where he was up, spent half the season in the minors, and then came back up and played the rest of the season on the fourth line in and out of the lineup. Now you're talking about playing the top line, and he plays with Robert Thomas, which is part of the reason why he's finding success. But here's what I love about Jake Neighbors. He develops his own offense. He doesn't rely on his centerman to to create that offense for him. He's the guy that says, I'll do this myself if I have to, by going to the front of the net or creating those scoring chances himself. So I, I think you're looking at more of an upside than Jake DeBrusque is. And Jake DeBrusque is a great player. I'd take him in a heartbeat. But I, I do think Jake Neighbors is a guy who could put up 30 goals and more assists as the season goes on. I, I would agree with that, I think. I, I think there's a little bit more ceiling than what DeBrusque is. But if like that's the floor, then yeah, that's a, it's a hell a, of a floor. A hell of a floor for Jake Neighbors. DeBrusque has seasons with 27, 19, 25, and 27 goals already in his NHL career. He's 27 years old, man. That's, that's a really good player. Yeah, and a really good guy to be comp to if you're Jake Neighbors. So I've always thought he had a little bit of that Barbashev to him where he would be kind of the Swiss Army knife, can play up and down the lineup, probably will settle on being a 
second, third line winger, but he provides everything that Barbershev had. I mean, you just watched Barbershev play against the Blues. What did he do? He goes to the front of the net. He's not afraid to use his body and hit guys, and he can score and create stuff himself. Well, that's what Jake Neighbors does as well. Now, Barbershev wasn't on that list of those players that you just read off, but he's been the guy that I've always kind of circled as, this is who he kind of reminds me of. But DeBrus may be a better one because of what you just said with his age and the numbers that he was able to put up. So yesterday, Doug Armstrong was on the pregame show with Joey Vitale and Alexa Dat, and they asked him what he has seen so far this year from Jake Neighbors. Here's what the Blues president of hockey operations had to say on Bally Sports Midwest. I think this, uh, you know, the ability that I, I, I want to give uh, Booch Navich and uh, Robert Thomas a lot of credit. You know, when you put a young player with veteran players, A, he has to perform to their level, but they have to bring them along and they have to teach them important times of the game, important areas of the ice, how to manage the puck. And I thought that line has done a great job. It's also uh, great when Craig can give a young player that opportunity to move up the lineup and then they have to take advantage of that opportunity. It doesn't come uh, doesn't come all the time for young players. And I, I, I give uh, Jake a ton of credit. We'll see how long he can ride this wave in before he has to paddle back out. But right now, he's a lot of fun to watch. And I think Doug said it correctly there. Like, as much credit as we're giving Jake Neighbors, Robert Thomas deserves just as much credit as Pavel Buchnevich because a young player does not have the success that Jake Neighbors is having unless his line is having the success, and we've seen it. Buchnevich has been on a point streak for I don't even know how many games prior to last night's loss, and then you've got Robert Thomas, who also has been stepping his offensive game up. But Jake Neighbors just takes it himself, and that's what I think is so important important about a young player. And here's the other thing. He's got the attitude that goes with it. And, and Curbs was talking about this on postgame last night. Like It wasn't just that goal that he scored. But he got under the skin of oh, Vegas. Dude, every time that there was a whistle in front of the net, they were Jake them. Neighbors was taking one extra hit, and then they made sure to get him out of the crease. And, I, I love that. And it you is something saw, that I noticed it, Alex, mm-hmm. last night, because it's something we never saw last yeah. year from the Blues. And you saw at the end of the game, post-whistle, Vegas is up by three, and Alex Petrangelo took a hack at Jake Neighbors. Why? Because he's starting to get under the skin of the players. And you don't have enough of those guys right now for this team. You don't have enough guys that say, screw this. We're losing this one. I'm going to put this in my own hands. And Jake Neighbors kind of exemplifies that for the Blues. And frankly, I couldn't tell you the last time they had a player that was that way other than Pat Maroon. So you need guys like Jake Neighbors. And if the young guy is doing that, if a 21-year-old is scoring 10 goals and getting under the skin of the opponents and finding ways to create offense and sticking to the game, even if they're down by four goals, that translates to the rest of the players in that locker room. You'd hope so. I don't know that it has so far, unfortunately. I think it will when you bring more younger players in. It's something that I do wonder about with this team right now, Alex, and it's something you mentioned before the show today. Earlier this year, you had an identity line with Neighbors, Sonny, and Torpchenko. That line, you could put them out there after you score, and it's like, all right, they're going to shut things down. They're going to make sure that uh, you end up getting opportunities offensively, or they'll, they'll at least play the right way, right? They'll get it in deep, and they'll go out to work and they'll set your next line up in a good spot. If you get scored on, you could put them out there as well. You don't have that right now. And a big reason why is because Neighbors has been pushed up the lineup. Sonny has been pushed up the lineup. Now each of those three guys is on a different line. So you can't put one unit out there and expect them to be what that identity line was early in the season. Are Is this Blues team in your mind, Alex, missing somebody that is a, trying to think of the correct way to say this without us getting an FCC violation, a bleep disturber? Yeah. Somebody that'll just go out there and create havoc on what can, again, be considered an identity line. They don't. 
They do not. And the perfect example are the last two games against Vegas. Monday night, Barbashev goes heavy into Jordan Bennington on a rush up the ice. He didn't try to avoid the goaltender. And what did everybody do? They skated away from him. Last night, you had William Carrier, prior to Jack Eichel scoring the goal, bump into Jordan Bennington. He was, he was backing into the net. What happened? Nobody did anything about it. This is, if you remember, what Jeremy Rutherford said at the beginning of the season with us, that he wants to see if this team kind of comes together as a group. It's what Craig Button said at the beginning of the season that nobody's afraid to go to the front of the net against this team. He's not talking about their defensive ability. He's talking about somebody who makes players pay. And the, the perfect example of what the Blues need to get to is what we saw last year against Tampa. If you remember, Robert Portuzo bumped into Andre Vasilevsky, and as soon as he did, all five Tampa Bay Lightning players dropped their gear and swarmed him. You don't have that right now. You don't have a guy that when things are going south, you you have a guy, but Braden Shan can't do it all himself. But when things are going south, Who's the guy that says, I'm going to take this back into my own hands by going out there and forcing Vegas to have to answer to something? I don't think you have that. And that's an element that if you're a group trying to come together and find ways to stop the snowballs, as Doug Armstrong talked about last night, finds a ways to avoid those valleys being so low. You've got to have somebody who's willing to skate past a bench and tell them you're bleeped. You've got to have somebody who's willing to, if a player comes in and takes an extra whack at your goaltender before a whistle, you cross-check him in the face. Does it end up in a penalty? Absolutely. But at least your team knows that that player has their back. And I don't think the Blues have that if right they now. They have it. He's in, the, he's in the press box, though. Trevor Bortuzzo. Yeah. Bortuzzo is that guy, and that's why... They, I think Jake Neighbors is going to be that guy. He's becoming that to a degree. The problem is, like, Jake Neighbors is a really important piece. He is somebody that is right now on your top line, and I don't want that guy getting that penalty that you're talking about because he is so important to everything that you're trying to accomplish, both offensively and, frankly, defensively in your own zone as well. That guy typically is a third-pairing defenseman or fourth-line player. And right now, when you look at that fourth line, Torpchenko's not that guy. Torpchenko is a guy that almost creates offense from the fourth line and Alexandrov's not that guy and Sammy Blay while he will get involved in some physicality he's not the guy that's really going out there and doing some of the things that you're talking about I think they're missing a fourth line center right now that can be the player that you're discussing and I thought they may have had that with the Sonny Torpchenko and neighbors line but they all ended up becoming so much more important that you can't have them playing that role right now I don't know that that guy is available, but it would be something that if I was Doug Armstrong, I would probably move on from the Akub Verona experience whenever I can find somebody that is that player. Yeah. I don't know if he's in Springfield right now. Um, I don't know if he's available in free agency, if there is a small, low-level trade that you can make, but that is the kind of thing that I would like to see this team make a move for. I don't know how you find that player either. Um, t- t- frankly, I think that's a player that you have to develop in your own system, which is why I would say it's going to be Jake Neighbors, because it's so hard for a player to come in and be that guy because you know you're not meshed into the room with everybody else you've got a couple of players who should be that guy I think Jake Neighbors is one of them Torpchenko should be another one frankly Sammy Blay should be one of those guys that's that role for this team you were in that fourth line role with Oscar Sundquist someone's gonna have to take that role to say let's bring the momentum back on our side and it's an element that I think the best teams have in the NHL. Dallas has Jamie Benn. Uh, Colorado has guys like Gabriel Landeskog when they play. They went out and traded for Ross Colton, who plays that way. Vegas has a guy. You saw it last night with, with the Golden Knights. 
it's an element that the Blues team's still looking for. Maybe it's not the element that you need right now, but it definitely is an element you need if you want to be a cup contender again. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, let's get into a game of Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to do so here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world It should have been somebody else Sing it, boys Believe it or not, I'm walking on air I never thought I could feel so free Flying away, hallowing at a prayer Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, if you got a scenario, you send them in right now on the text line. Right now. And we will get to those here in just a bit. But to kick things off, I will get us started. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the weekend, Tyler O'Neill will be traded elsewhere. Not believe it. I think it's going to take longer. I, 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 there's, I just don't see teams that are chomping at the bit to trade for Tyler O'Neill. I think teams are going to wait it out and see if the Cardinals say, yeah, fine, we'll keep him on our team or if we're just going to cut him and move on. So I'm going to say not believe this one. I don't think he gets traded. Uh, I'll, I'll believe it because I could see where they just finally come to their senses and say, yeah, you know what? He's not worth a lot. We'll just take, you know, Royals, you offered up a couple of baseballs. Yeah, we'll take that. So <laughs> I think they'll come to their senses. I think they'll move on. I, I think they had too high of expectations for the talent that they had. I uh, I think this is going to take a minute. I think all of the reasons why Tyler Glass now has not been dealt yet and why the White Sox have decided Dylan Cease will not be traded for a little while, all of that stuff also pertains to the Cardinals with Tyler O'Neill. I think this market is just totally gummed up by Shohei Otani and uh, Yamamoto. Those guys at the top end of the market, man, they set the bar for everybody else. And until they start moving, you don't get any of this middle class free agency that starts to move either. And until you start getting teams that are desperate because they missed out on the free agency players, they don't turn their attention to the trade targets because why would I go trade for somebody that is equal or similar in value to the guy that I can just go over here and sign with money? Especially when you've got a Tyler Glass now, for example, that's making $25 million. Or Tyler O'Neill, who the equivalent of him on the free agent market is probably also getting somewhere in that 5 to $8 million range. And you don't have to trade talent for it. So I think it's going to take a minute. I do not think he's dealt for probably a week or two. I think we might be getting into the Christmas season before we see any kind of traction with Tyler O'Neill. Alex, what do you got for us? Guys, believe it or not, after this weekend, we will see at least one Springfield Thunderbird brought up to the Blues. Ooh, I hope you're right. So I'm going to say believe it. I think that the Yakub Vrana experience is reaching the end sooner rather than later. They're going to want to cycle through some of these fourth line players. And right now you can't do that when Yakub Vrana is the guy that is your extra. So I'm, I'll say believe it. I'm I'm not going to believe it because I think if you they were going to do it, they already would have done it. For whatever reason, I feel like they still want to give this one more try. Throw them in the lineup one more time. When they do that, I don't know. But 
throw him in the lineup, see if he starts producing offensively, and then you kind of go from there and see what happens. But for right now, I'm I'm going to say I'm not going to believe this. I think I think they would have already done it because we've seen it's clearly not working right now. But if if we know that, they know that, then why is he still here? I'm going to not believe this one also. I don't believe he gets back in the lineup, though. I, I think they're going to bide their time, and they're going to let the couple of these guys continue to play well for the Thunderbirds. And then whenever they get, whether it's this coming homestand, my guess is probably the end of this month where they have a homestand. That's where you're going to see either Goddard or Walker. I'd lean more towards Walker. I don't think it's going to be this weekend, but I, I would say by the end of the month, you're going to see one of Walker or Goddard brought up for the Blues for two reasons. One, to help your team. And two, they're going to want to put Bolduke in a higher role for this team because he's not getting top line minutes with those two guys. Steve-O? Guys, believe it or not, we will see Scott Prunovich playing in the top four before the All-Star break. I'm not. I, I think it's just taken them so long to do anything with Scott Perunovich, and I think they're going to be very patient with this thing. We saw last year where um, he wasn't on the power play, and then this year finally you get some opportunities with it, but he's third pairing and second grouped uh, on the power play. I, I think they're just taking their time, and I think they want him to continue to get his feet wet and, wet and stay healthy. I think this season is about him staying healthy. So I'll say not believe in it, unfortunately. I, think I hope it, they do. I, I, I'm actually going to say believe this one because as it gets closer to the trade deadline, that's where you've gotten three months into the season, four months into the season. You've seen him stay healthy. You're seeing more production out of him. And by then you say, let's see what this kid has in this role because by trade deadline, you're going to want to find out if Scott Pernovich can be a top four defenseman as you go into the offseason. So I think by the trade deadline, you're going to start seeing it consistently. Uh, I'm not going to believe it, but I think it could be after the deadline because of what you just said, because whether you're in the playoff stretch or not, they still view this as a retool, and I don't expect them to be adding like significant pieces to where they're really pushing to where they can't do a little bit of experimentation down the stretch. I could see maybe not before the deadline, but after they say, man, we really got to know if Pernovich can play in the top four. And then they do that going into the playoffs, and then maybe even try it in the playoffs, and then they have a better sense going into the offseason. All right, let's get to some of yours from the text line. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, believe it or not, Shohei Otani will be a Dodger by the end of the week. I'm not believing this. I continue to believe that he will remain with the Angels. I... The national reporting is starting to make me skeptical. It sure seems like this thing is down to the Dodgers versus the Blue Jays, but I am sticking with my guns. I don't think anybody knows a damn thing about what's going on with Shohei Otani right now. I think he sticks with the Angels. Yeah, I'm not believing this one. I don't think it's the Dodgers. I think it's going to be the Angels, but I also believe that it's going to be a team that nobody's talked about. I think the Cubs could be the one that's like, oh, they said they weren't in it. I think the Red Sox come out of nowhere. That would be awesome. I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be one of these teams that everybody's talking about. Oh, it's the Dodgers. It's the Dodgers. Or it's the Angels. Hey, I'm going to Chicago. That's I could see that happening. Yeah. Uh, Or the the Cardinals. Like, how cool would that be? Well, you know what? The Cardinals didn't get Yamamoto, so they go out there and better it by getting Shohei. What would be the best team that was would be the surprise? Like, for me, it's the Baltimore Orioles. Can you imagine if he's like, hey, I've always loved crab cakes. I want to be an Oriole. Or more like crab cakes, am I right? That would be amazing. Seattle for me. That'd be great. Just pure freaking chaos of like, we're not trading any of our pitchers. And we got Shohei Otani. That would be amazing. I think the one for me would be Philly. Because it would oh be the most, God. it would be the most Dombrowski move ever God. 
booked where it's like, that's oh, so hey, good. see this lineup? Yeah, that's Wheeler, really good lineup. Wheeler, Nola, and Otani yeah. in two years. You like our top two? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good rotation. Can you imagine if you like signed with the White Sox, though? That, oh, my God. The, the funniest one would probably be Chicago. And, and not going to the Cubs, but instead going to, to the White Sox. I would like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would be funny to see him go back to the Angels, if I'm being honest. The Royals. Someone because they're the such Royals. a joke. Well, I want to go to a market that I'm not bothered at, and Kansas City is it. Uh, that would be fun. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, Believe It or Not, Yadier Molina will be managing the Cardinals by the All-Star break. Uh-huh. I'm going to believe it. I'm not even sure. They can't even get him to commit to being on the staff You know now. how they'll get to commit? Yeah. You're the manager. And bring his family with him, I guess. Uh, um, actually, I'll, I'll change my mind. I won't believe it. I think Alex is right. I, I think if he was offered the manager oh, job, he'd, he'd be in a heartbeat. It. I won't believe it because if that's speculation by me, I want to clarify if that. If Ollie's gone, Dis- Discalzo would get it. Yeah, that's think? my thing. Yeah, a bit, yeah, but then by I next don't. by next year, Yachty would get it. I, I don't. I think that they would give it to Yachty. I don't think so. Not if he's not here, other than like a homestand every month. I think they would give it to Yachty. Yachty's going to have it in 2025. Like that's I think not- they would ask Yachty first before they would ask Discalzo. Yeah, Yachty's going to be the manager for 2025. That's just speculation, though. That's not me reporting because we have to put that out yeah. there in the front. Like, it's it's the Matheny move. You, you fire him by the all-star break if your team's underperforming and you bring somebody in to go on that deep run at the end of the season to get in, and then you say, here you go. His current role feels very Mike Schulte, where it's like, hey, Mike Schulte is here. Nobody really knows what he's doing, but he's doing a bunch of stuff, and he's, like, helping with the staff. And he's Joe. in uniform, whatever he wants to be. Or Joe McEwing's going to be like, why are you around. in my office? Yeah. I, I do find it to be really interesting, and I hope it doesn't become a storyline because if it does, it means that the Cardinals are bad. But if if the Cardinals struggle early on and don't look at their schedule because, oh, boy, it is rough hey, to start out the first month of the season. Be fair, San Diego just got rid of one of their best players. We'll be fine. Yeah, but they got their best one in Mike Schilt. Um, I I think that this has a better chance of happening than I want it to. I, I think Ollie's a good manager, and I think you should stick with him. But if the Cardinals get off to a tough start, I can totally see them doing something like this. I'm not going to believe it because I think if they're struggling and it's – I think they would still turn to Descalso first. But then even, like, if you're going beyond that, like, if they struggle, I don't think it's just the managerial spot that's being let go. I think the front office is being cleaned out. The whole front office? Sure. And if that's the case, like, are you really going to – Are the is the new group that you bring in going to then bring in Yadier Molina as the storyline as manager? I don't know. I It just doesn't feel like it. So I, I'm not going to believe this. I Is Ali a good manager? I think he's – Okay, I think he falls right in that middle group of managerial guys in Major League Baseball. Does he make a difference? Maybe. Does he hurt you? No, I don't think so. So, like, I think he can get through this season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Final thing here. Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will get through the offseason without getting rid of Nolan Gorman. They will not trade Nolan Gorman. I'll believe this one. All right. I think if they're going to get something, it's going to be without Nolan Gorman, probably Dylan Cease, but I'm starting to get real skeptical that the starting pitcher is going to happen. Um, Even though some reports have said that they're still heavily involved with it, uh, you're not going to move Nolan Gorman. You're not moving Brendan Donovan. So I'll say I'll believe this one. I'll believe it. I think he's still here. I'm a little skeptical of them adding another starting pitcher. Um, And I just, it doesn't feel like the Cardinals move, right? And what what I mean by that is, 
for a team that really values their their players, their prospects, their internal people. Hell, it's why they held on to Tyler O'Neill for so long. It's why they've probably held on to Carlson a little too long. It's why they ended up not tendering Yepes because they waited too long. Doesn't feel like a mo move to say, hey, yeah, we signed three pitchers. Oh, surprise! We're getting another one and we're trading away a guy that can hit 40 home runs. Doesn't feel mo like. Now, trade Burleson, maybe I could see. Honestly, I could still see a Donovan kind of, but. I, I don't get the sense that Gorman's that guy, so I'm not I'm gonna believe. I'm this. with you. I just don't believe. Maybe this is wish casting, because I don't want them to go this route. But I don't think they're gonna eventually trade him. I this might sound crazy. I, I think they'd be more likely to trade Nolan Arenado than Nolan Gorman this offseason. And again, that's pure speculation <laughs> by me. But if you really needed, if you felt you really needed to go get that starting pitching, and you were willing to do so to the degree of like taking away in a significant way from your lineup, the way you probably would go about doing that would be trading Nolan Arnato to the Dodgers and getting a starter from them. We're all in a microwave, man. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming Put up in 15 minutes or so, there's a lot of context that was missing from that <laughs> comment, and if you just meandered It's a microwave in, university. If you just yeah. meandered into oh, our yeah. show, you probably have no clue what Alex is talking Should about. go back and check it out on the podcast. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app is presented by... Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. Coming up next, Mizzou is utilizing the transfer portal the way that everybody hopes to. Are they going to get a big-time running back transfer once again this offseason? It sure feels like it. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. portal season in college football, which essentially means it is free agency for the college football offseason. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. College football round! (laughs) Yeah, basically. There's a whole lot of quarterbacks from the Power Five that have decided, hey, I'm going to cash in my check right now. This is my opportunity to go make more money money elsewhere. There was a great piece earlier today over on ESPN.com breaking down how there are so many power five teams that are in need of quarterbacks that you're seeing some of these other guys that are like, eh, maybe it's a good opportunity for me to go ahead and float my name into the mix. I could be a power five quarterback. Will Howard, the quarterback from K-State, who was fine pretty solid he's getting interest from like usc and oklahoma like some of the top programs across the country so that's where we're at that quarterback from toledo i can't remember his name but he's getting like interest from the teams that are losing the guys who are going to the big schools so there's a a trickle down effects that's taking place on the quarterback side thankfully for mizzou they don't have to worry about that this offseason they're good with brady cook what they do have to accomplish, though, Alex, is, man, they got to go out there and find a running back because Cody Schrader is not going to be easy to replace. It sounds like they're going to try to add multiple. One guy that they are in on currently is a gentleman by the name of Marcus Carroll Jr. You may not recognize that name because he did not play for a Power 5 team last year. He played at Georgia State, but he was one of the most productive running backs in the country while playing at Georgia State. He is going to be on campus this weekend at Mizzou. Alex I think they will take more than one running back via the transfer portal. And there's one other name that just entered that I find to be really interesting for Mizzou. Trevor Etienne. Travis Etienne's little brother who played at Florida last year. And if you watch the Mizzou versus Florida game, you're probably familiar with him. The guy is unbelievable. He is the top running back in the transfer portal right now. And if I am Mizzou 
instead of having to throw around all of this money to Ray to to Wingo from SLU, instead of throwing it around for a quarterback this offseason, you don't have to do any of that. You just got Toriano Pride, a former St. Louis four-star kid that went to Clemson out of high school, but was able to maintain the relationship with him. He is now coming back home. He's going to be playing for the Tigers, replacing Ennis Rakestra on one of those cornerback spots. The other thing that I would do spending my money this offseason, Alex, via NIL, go get Trevor Etienne. Go get the dude that can be a game wrecker for you in the backfield. Replace Cody Schrader with multiple running backs. So that way next year you can go into the season and you've got two guys that can handle the job that was previously handled by the one guy in Cody Schrader. And you know the perfect selling point to a guy like ETN who's obviously not happy with his role when he was with Florida? is saying, Look at all these running back uh, carries that we gave to our guys here at Missouri. 23 against Florida. You had 26 against Arkansas. You had 35 against Tennessee. Hey, ETN, we got you covered on carries because you're going to be our ball hog all season and long. he's not Cody Schrader. They're very different players. But, guys, you don't have to look all that far back. Look at what Tyler Beatty was able to do in this offense at Mizzou. He had a historically great season as well. He looks very similar to Tre- uh, Trevor Etienne. Both of them are a little bit smaller in terms of the height, but they're bulky in, in the way that they're built. Etienne can help you in the passing game, much like Tyler Beatty did a couple of seasons ago. I can guarantee you right now, if Etienne decided to come to Mizzou, Kirby Moore would find a way to be able to utilize him in the passing game the way that we saw late down the stretch what they were able to do with Cody Schrader in that regard. It is interesting to me, though, Alex, getting away from Mizzou and kind of more big picture college football wise. It is interesting to me that this is the time where we see all of this movement because there's still games to be played. Now, they don't matter. And T-Bone will tell you up and down until he's blue in the face how much he does not care about any of the games that are about to take place. But... Like college football playoff teams are losing players. The punt returner from Georgia just entered his name into the transfer portal. This time next year, if he was to do so, he would be doing so prior to the college football playoff that his team would be participating in. I don't know what they can do or if there's anything that college football can do, but the transfer portal taking place right around this time of the year when we get to a 12-team playoff is going to be problematic. You will have guys, even if they're just special teams players, that are entering their names into the portal because they have to be at their new school by the start of the second semester, and that's by early January, and you don't have to be some mathematician to figure out. That is when the college football playoff will be taking place. I I don't know what college football is going to do next year, but it's got to try to figure something out. Do you move the deadline up? To, to make them decide if they're transferring like in December and say like, hey, you need to decide it like midpoint of the season if you're going to be transferring or not. But what do you do? Like that, that doesn't change anything for the college football playoff. Yeah, I don't Well, it's going to impact the college football playoff no matter what. I, I know, but that's a problem. Playoff, I think you have to start the playoff like this weekend. Like when you do the 12 team playoff instead of this, what do they got? I mean, I know they start bowl games sooner, but they're getting what? Three weeks off before to prepare for the semifinals. Yeah, a week off. Yeah, I, I don't even think you get that. I, and it puts a real emphasis on the buy, earning that buy. Now, look, there's still going to be an emphasis on it in the current yeah, format. The college football playoff is not expected to be played under the current scenario until January 1st. Yeah. So and, we've still got another three and a half weeks prior to the uh, college football playoff taking place. And, like, that just cannot happen because of what we're talking about. Because you may say, oh, well, punt returner. Well, that can't be a big deal. Hey, man, I've seen football games lost because of special teams. Yeah. So it's a huge deal. Um, losing a backup quarterback potentially to the portal, that's a huge deal if your quarterback backup gets Backup running back. Think about if exactly. your number two running back enters the portal and your top guy either goes down or is just gassed for a yeah. play. Like Those are the kinds of things that can really matter once you get into these kinds of games. So I think they're going to have to move the playoff up to 
basically right after championship week. Now, I know they love the idea of owning kind of New Year's Day. Well, instead of having the semifinals New Year's Day, do the championship game on New Year's Day. That would be kind of my counterpoint to it is get going early on, and it really puts an emphasis on the bye because right now, if you were to start the playoff today, if you're a team like Georgia who just went through this slugfest against Alabama, got guys still beat up, dealing with some injuries, all right, well, you got to play this weekend. You do not get time off. In the current format, the way it's set up, look, that bye is helpful because you get to avoid the 50-50 matchup, but it's not as meaningful in terms of the health of the guys because everybody's still getting three, at minimum two and a half weeks up until they have to play a game. They just have to play one game right before you, which is a big deal, but it's not right away. They still have time to get some guys to get healthy, recover for that game. Do you provide leniency to be eligible for the next season with the team if they transfer later in the season? Like, can you find leniency in that route? No, because it's the schools that are doing this. Like it, it's about them being in college. If this was the NFL, sure, you could do it whenever. It doesn't. The schedule wouldn't matter at all. But the reason why they have to be transferred by a certain date is has nothing to do with the NCAA and everything to do with being enrolled in classes. Like if you enroll at Lindenwood, Alex, whenever you were in college, you would have to do so by a certain date in order to be eligible to take the courses that you have to take in order to be eligible for college football the next year. So there, there's nothing they can do really to push back the date that kids can be enrolled by. It has everything to do with, I think T-Bone's right, you probably, if you want to fix this, and I don't know that college football does because they don't have a whole lot of foresight, but if you want to fix this, if you want to make it less of an issue, you probably need to push the college football playoff games up. I don't know if they're going to be willing or able to accomplish such a thing. I do want to respond to a couple of texts here. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Or maybe you just keep it the same, guys, and then maybe it'll tame down some of the transfer portal stuff because college football is being ruined right now. I don't know who this individual is a fan of, but I disagree completely. I think college football is a better product right now in part because of the college football transfer rules. If you're a Mizzou fan... And the portal's been great for you. You have been able to accumulate a lot more talent than you've lost so far. And hell, for a lot of the kids, like Jay Macklin, Jeremy Macklin's cousin, who's a St. Louis product, went to Mizzou out of high school. He was a three-star kid. Went to Mizzou. There wasn't a lot of playing time that was offered to him, Alex. He transferred a couple of years ago down to North Texas. This past season put up 1,000 yards as a North Texas wide receiver. Was a star there. This offseason, he is now getting, he's entered the transfer portal again. He's going to transfer back up. He's getting offers from LSU, Oklahoma, every school in the country. That's good for him, man. For Because if he had stayed at Mizzou, he would have been buried on their depth chart. Instead, he goes elsewhere. He gets an opportunity to show that he has the skills necessary to be a power five star. And now he's going to transfer back up again to get that next opportunity. One final shot to really show out at the power five level. That's good for the kids. It's good for the schools. I think most of this is a positive. It's not all positive, but a lot of it has been a positive for college football. Another thing that somebody on the text line said is uh, guys transferring causes players to lose NIL money and those who sit out bowl games should lose NIL money as well. There's no way that you can do that because NIL cannot be tied to playing games. It can't be paid for play because you're not paid quote unquote to play football according sure. to the NIL rules. This is not an employment student. contract. Student first. It is earning opportunities from your name, image, and likeness. So they're they're not allowed to do that, uh, based upon the the way that these rules have been written. I smell a loophole. <laughs> 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved in the show. We're gonna hit the rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Join in the holiday spirit by helping 101 ESPN support Operation Food Search throughout the month of December. We have partnered with STL Shirt Company to offer special 101 ESPN online merch stores this month. You can go over there, check out the t-shirts, hoodies, hats, so much more. We've also brought back some of your favorite designs. They include the Dunk Shirt, the Be Patient Shirts, Jamie Rivers, and BT Shirzies, and so much more. It's all available to you at 101ESPN.com. It's the 101 ESPN online merch store now, powered by McBride Homes. And if you all ask enough, make sure you, you email and CC Mike Ryder in it. Sure. You want the t-shirts that say, in a microwave. You'll get those t-shirts. Okay. Yeah. Microwave Society? Yeah. No, just in a microwave. Just that? Just a picture of a microwave, and then it says, I'm in it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we can get the. You gotta have. Yeah, we gotta have demand. It. It's he supply told me and demand. Earlier today, if we get enough requests to yeah. him on Twitter, Mike Ryder. Again, that's the name, Mike Ryder. Three one four three nine 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 six four six. CC Mike Ryder. I want the microwave shirt. You can also tweet at one hundred one ESPN and if you at do Mike that. Ryder. I'm assuming he's but on specifically Twitter. at one hundred one ESPN. If CC you tweet at one hundred one yeah. ESPN. Uh-huh. Mike Ryder will be sure to get you whatever your shirt is that you want made. He's actually going to do that for you, custom made. He does it himself. I don't know if wow. people know this, but he he's able to print the picture. And he hand sews these T-shirts at home. It's amazing. Yeah, he just he's, he's got a house now. He's got the cricket. He's he in puts the basement. Those on the front mm-hmm. of the shirt as well. He yeah. goes in individually and cuts out. He can also, every make you coffee piece. cups too. Really? Oh, wow. See, Mike Ryder offering coffee cups yeah, too. Mike Ryder did this. If you want a picture of a microwave, Mike Ryder does it all. He, he makes a jack of all. He makes walls. I've heard he makes shoes. <laughs> really? And belts out of snakeskin. That is amazing. This guy does everything. Yeah. So he just really cool. CC Mike Ryder. At 101 ESPN on Twitter, and he'll take care of it. Yeah, he'll be sure to get you yeah, taken wait. care of. All right, Alex, uh, let's finish off the show today. Probably because we won't be back tomorrow <laughs> after that. My contract's <laughs> up at the end of the year, and I have not heard anything. Oh, yeah, that is so going to be used against <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder if Bradley's going to hold this against me. All right, um, so the Blues lost again last night. No, they didn't. They really And won. it's kind of become the same story as it had been previously, Alex. They get down early fight back, and then they give up a bunch of goals in a very short amount of time. Is this something that's become the identity of the team? Is it something that they can overcome? How, how do they get out of this I th- funk? Alex? I think it's a head game now. Now it's just this Blues team realizes, like last year, if you lose a game, you're going to carry it over to the next one. I think they realize that, hey, if we give up a goal, there's going to be more coming after this one. And to get through it, you have to stop the snowball at some point. That's why last night would have been so impactful if you would have held on to that 3-1 lead because you'd allow the other team to score. You had the best response we've seen this season when the other team scores a goal because you just pounded them and forced them to play defense. Um, but you didn't do it at some point this season to stop this trend. You've got to 
come back in a game and play better than the opponent for 60 minutes. And right now it's not there. It's a mental game for this Blues team. I understand you're going to take the negative side of things. I'll go ahead and take the positive side. I did think that the first period was pretty the, positive. the best period individually that we have seen from the Blues so far this year, especially when you take into account the opponent. Did they uh, get two points? No, just first period. Oh. Technically, they period. got two points at Man, that period. I didn't know we started handing out participation trophies. Nope. Uh, I'm, it was a... They, at the end of the period, they were winning. Yeah, oh, hey, yeah. There was also that. Hey, man, we're in a microwave. Yeah. <laughs> He's Alex. That's Steve on BK. Uh, we CC Mike Carter. <laughs> we, we might be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Maybe not. I guess we'll all find out together. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.